This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to another very special episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Pavalli, coming at you without Andrew D. Bailey this time, but I am super pleased to be joined by my good friend and co-worker, NBA national columnist at Bleacher Report, also a licensed lawyer, Grant Hughes. Follow him on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. Uh, before we jump into another division preview, I'm not going to spoil it for another roughly 30 to 40 seconds. I uh, just want to remind, implore, plead, beg everyone to continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. Andy and I love when we see those numbers go up. Throw us the five-star review like you know you want to. You can leave us feedback um, in that comment section. And if you haven't subscribed to us already, definitely do that. Subscribe your family and friends, recommend us, just help us get the word out that this podcast is crappy, but it's a fun level of crappy. As always, you can find us anywhere else that podcasts are at, and by listening to this pod, you also get 15% off the NBA Math Shop. That is nbamath.com slash shop, promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. We are going to dive in with Grant to our Pacific Division Preview. I know you can feel the excitement. And before we really just cannonball into it, though, we have to ask, Grant, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Dan, and I'm, I'm honored to be on a very special episode. Um, but I, I gotta, I'm going to derail us immediately yes. um, because did you see, and maybe this is just me late to the party, uh, Russell Westbrook had knee surgery. Were you aware of this? Yes, we were. Uh, I was, we, I was aware of it. It was... Um, I, that's it's concerning, right? It's okay to be concerned about Russell Westbrook. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. There's like the the fall off for him is only going to go one way, and it's going to be like precipitous. Just because someone that depends on athleticism that much, once that's gone, like what's left, you know? Um, I'm I'm extremely concerned, and that we're not going to talk about the West exactly. We're going to talk about uh, a third of the West. But uh, boy, that, re- that that really forces some reevaluation of of what the Western Conference is going to look like if the Thunder aren't going to be right up there, you know, vying for second or third or fourth in in the West. But maybe he'll be fine. Maybe it's my it's, it seems like it's minor, but that just crossed my radar just this second as you were talking. And it seemed like a big deal. I think it's a pretty one. He turns thirty in November, right? And this is his third surgery on that right knee. It's the right knee, correct? Uh, that is correct, right knee. So that's like, he's recovered better from these surgeries than Derek Rose ever did. And I know that's kind of the comparison that people go to and it's not, it's a fairly apt comparison, but Westbrook has never had a torn ACL. It's basically been, um, the meniscus tears. Uh, so I, I, it's, he's rebounded better from them is my point, 
but now he's approaching 30. Uh, he's just entering that five-year mega extension. Is it? It's it's weird to say this. He's a top 10 player on a bottom 10 contract. Is basically. Oh yeah. And whether you put him in the top 10, you know, he might fall a little bit outside. Whatever. But that's that's wild. That contract sucks. And you know what? Derail derailment number two. Um, which of those giant extensions signed by point guards is not a terrible contract? Like. Conley's contract. I love Mike Conley. That's an awful contract. John Wall's contract is going to be maybe the worst in the league because he's another guy that like once that athleticism has gone, you have nothing. Um, and Westbrook's right there too. I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but like all of those are just going to be terrible. Yeah. I mean, and the other thing too, I would be, I'm more concerned about John Wall than I'm about Russell Westbrook too. Yeah. Conditioning stuff. Yeah. So uh, that's going to be fascinating. And I think the best you look at, and it's funny to say this when you look at how the careers, like what the trajectories looked like, let's say four or five years ago, Stephen Curry didn't sign the extension, but got that 35% deal. And his is going to age by far better than everybody else's. Yeah. Cause he's going to have something left, right? Like he's always going to be scary 30 feet from the hoop. I, I mean, and you know, maybe, maybe he's not that scary if he just can never get by anybody that runs at him anymore. Um, but yeah, like if you, it's just like skill age is so much better than athleticism and like all those, you know, in theory, Conley might actually last the longest, although his injuries are costing him huge chunks of seasons lately. Um, but like, he's a skillful guy, whereas Westbrook and Wall are just like, well, I run run it down the throat of the defense and that's kind of what I do. Um, that's going to be really interesting to see how those go, but I've derailed us enough. You want to do some Pacific Division stuff? You want to lead us off or get us into it? I do. I do want to know, to continue our derailment, um, Mike Conley is, he's not an Iron Man, but he's so like, he's so tough. And when you look at it over the past three seasons, he I know he missed 70 games last year, but he missed 13 in 16-17, and then he missed another 26 in 15-16. Um, and he's had some like heels and Achilles injuries. I don't even think this is the first like Achilles issue. He's had that's concerning, and yet you look at him, and as you said, with his style of play, his deal, there's also less time on it. He's three years left, but when you look at where these players will be relative to their ages and price points, he's probably second behind Curry, and then when you look at Westbrook and Wall, and we're just talking about sort of this four-point guard vacuum. I don't think we're leaving anyone out who's on that. Uh, Chris Paul, I guess, um, his four-year max that he signed. Yeah, that's going to be bad, too, towards the end. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, it, the first, I, I think you this year will be fine. Next year will probably be okay. The last two years of that deal are going to be a coin toss at best. Yeah, My, and you know what's different about Paul's deal, and I think it's important, is that like I could see like when that one goes bad, I think what you'll get is Chris Paul is going to play 37 games in a year, um, but they'll be great still, whereas like, you know, if someone like Westbrook say might play 82, but he'll be really diminished. And and in the Rockets situation, if you can get 30 some odd games of Paul and he can play in the playoffs for you, then it's worth it. But if like you need Russell Westbrook to dominate for a full year just to get you the third seed, um, that's a huge problem. If 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 he can't do that, you know, like the incentives and the stakes are different for all these teams. Uh, two questions before we actually get to the Pacific <laughs> preview. It's a great combo. One, who is more and i'll start here who's more likely to adjust their game better as they age john wall or russell westbrook i would say wall 
for two reasons. One is I think Westbrook is just incapable of changing the way he plays because if he could, Kevin Durant might still be there. Um, the Thunder would be a better team. I think everyone agrees with that. Like just his decision making and his single mindedness can be a negative. Um, and like Wall, I think Wall is clearly a better passer than Westbrook ever has been. So I think Wall could be a guy that is still gonna make decent decisions and set up other guys. Um, whereas Westbrook, like if he can't just beat his guy, I don't know what he gives you offensively. Cause he doesn't move without the ball. He's not that great a passer. He's a last resort passer. Um, I don't know what, West, what Westbrook can do if he's not a freak. Um, maybe I'm missing something. I don't know. And the other thing I, I made a joke about this on Twitter, uh, how Paul George spurned the Lakers and by extension LeBron. And it turns out he did this so that he could start on opening night with Dennis Schroeder as his starting point guard <laughs> against the Warriors. And people are like, well, it's only one game that Westbrook might not play and he'll be back. Yeah. Soon after. And I understand that, but let's say Westbrook's fine upon return. The overarching issue here, the fit between him and Dennis Schroeder is already kind of tenuous. And now you don't get training camp to work through yeah. the motions. And neither of those guys are good shooters or great shooters off the ball. You could talk me into Westbrook being a phenomenal cutter. Um, you cannot talk me necessarily unequivocally into him playing a ton off the ball with Schroeder and just making that work and being willing to cut, maybe set screens and, and do things like that. And at least you had training camp to try and figure all that out in the preseason. Now you don't get that. And so even if yeah. Westbrook is Westbrook, you already have this shaky dynamic and now you've made it. Well, you haven't made it, but it's become more fragile because of this Westbrook injury. Yeah, already tenuous. This is the last thing that Thunder needed, I think. Before what could have been a really, maybe still will be a great season, but but I think there were people that, that had uh, gotten comfortable with the idea of them being the second or third best team in the West. And I, I definitely think you've got to downgrade that now, even though it's, it's reportedly a minor procedure. Yeah, I'm looking at um, probably, I had them in that tier, like looking at them behind the Warriors as they could. But now I feel like it's Houston, Utah, and maybe Denver in there um if you want mm. to throw the lakers in there just because lebron's a, a freak but uh i think it's going to be probably utah or houston as that like that those two three spots but i could see the nuggets wedging their way in there too well you're high on the nuggets that's exciting i don't, I don't know I, I haven't sat down and kind of pieced it out i had to do a little bit of that just to decide where i thought the lakers were going to be for this uh this exercise but it's it's i don't know i i just We'll see. It's going to be an interesting year. Um, and even in this division, um, the Pacific's going to be, there's a lot, I mean, other than the Kings, which we'll get to, it seems like everybody's <laughs> kind of trying to do something, you know? Um, right. So, so there's, you know, there's a, a lot of potential for intrigue, I think, more than, more than you might expect with a division that has the Warriors in it. And so let's get to the reason that we're here. How's that sound? That works? That's called a transition, Dan. <laughs> um, the Warriors. We are going to, as always, go in order of decreasing winning percentage. Uh, so we'll start with the Warriors. They were 58-24 and 24 last season per cleaning the glass. They were second in offensive rating, ninth in defensive rating, and third in net rating. Uh, what would you say, this is kind of a no-brainer to me, Grant, what was the Warriors' best offseason move? Oh, I don't know if it's a no-brainer. Oh, here um, we go. I, I mean... You're going to say not so, bringing back Nick Young, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Just a major addition by subtraction. Um, I think... So Cousins is the obvious answer. Um, I assume that's what you're alluding to, um, or maybe keeping Durant even. But I think um, extending Kerr 
was like a big deal okay. because, um, and maybe this is just me, but but Steve Kerr has always seemed like someone uh, who, I mean, it's almost as he's obviously a very good NBA coach, but it's almost as if his talents are all, not wasted is too strong a term, but like he strikes me as someone who would be extremely successful at almost anything he tried um, in, as, in terms of it being like a leadership position because he's so just adept at like cultivating a functional culture and getting people to follow him. And he's obviously very intelligent and he's, you know, socially conscious. And I just, I always had it in the back of my mind that like, this was going to be a short term thing for Kerr um, because he would have bigger and better things on the horizon. So I thought that, that getting him, you know, secured was a big deal just because I think we're getting closer to some player turnover for the Warriors, certainly not this year, but, but keeping that, that sort of foundation uh, is a big deal to me. Um, so I, I liked them locking down Kerr for, for uh, another few years. I think that's a fair choice. I would just still pick Cousins, and I know that he's probably not going to play until the calendar flips to 2019. I know his role will be different, but they're going to be able to, if he's even 75%, 65% of his former self, it's just going to make life easier where you can the NBA's rest policy is weird, but if your players are healthy, you can just get rest for Draymond Green and Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant, knowing that you have this other alpha there. He might help you win a playoff game or two. And if things don't work out, like you don't need him. And he's coming in under the... Uh, he knows this is basically what I'm getting at. So his attitude will probably be different. He didn't really definitely shirk the stigma while he was in new orleans there didn't seem to be as much drama but he definitely didn't leave under the most rosy circumstances either and if if you're going to get a playoff victory out of him if you're going to be able to play stephen curry and kevin durant under 30 minutes a couple nights because you're able to just force feed demarcus cousins and ride him home um in march or something like that it's worth it and for them to just kind of luck into it, I, I think was a fantastic gamble for them to make because they just as easily could have said no. Like this was Nick Young was like this novelty. This is actually a test of their chemistry, of their culture, because Cousins is used to being a superstar. He's an all NBA right. center. And now you're bringing him in and there is some risk there, but I like that they took it and it's definitely a smaller risk relative to other teams. Still a risk though. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I agree with everything you said. Um, I, I think it was last week I I did something about you know how th- this is basically it wasn't quite a devil's advocate position, but it was more of like a hey, let's kind of just be a little careful about saying that the cousin signing is just all reward and no risk. Um, and it was difficult to sort of make that case, but I I would just say that like. You know, the Warriors are obviously not a team that needs much. Um, and the idea of them getting someone as good as Cousins when healthy is is almost silly. But, like, I am not super sure how much he's going to help. Um, the, the layoff and the uncertain return date is one thing. Add to that the, frankly, what I think is a likelihood that he's going to be greatly diminished um, mo- mo- in terms of mobility and just production. Just because that that's just what happens with Achilles injuries. So you don't know when he's going to come back. You don't know what he's going to give you when he is back. And then there's the issue of every minute that really matters, um, he will not play because the Warriors will go small. And 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 that's unless Andre Iguodala really falls off. 
And you can't even be sure Iguodala has fallen off until like May because that's when he starts to try. <laughs> um, I mean, if you look at his splits last year, he basically decided to start playing after the All-Star break um, and was just a, a different player. Um, and so like, okay, so you've got a guy that might not play much, might not be that good when he plays, and definitely isn't going to play in high leverage minutes. Was that the best use of 5.3 million? And I'm not sure that's the answer, especially when you factor in all of the the character concerns, just the bullshit that follows this guy everywhere um, that he causes. It's like he's the common denominator now. We know this. So again, like if DeMarcus Cousins wants to play for you for five million bucks, I think you do it. But there is a side to this where I think we've overlooked or maybe just underappreciated that like. I don't know how much of a difference he's going to make. And if he does make a really big difference, it might be negative because he might just grouse. I mean, remember too, I know I'm rambling, but remember too that he is a guy that's trying to like resurrect a a career and certainly say, Hey, uh, free agent suitors. I have, I'm worth another multi-year deal. I mean, I'm a star. You need to sign me to whatever in 2019. um, And I'm going to prove that I'm worth it, except he's going to prove that by playing a small role um, for half of a year. Like, I mean, he's going to, I feel like there's going to be an urgency from him that might lead to him being pissed off about not playing that much. Um, so there are some eggshells to walk on, I think, uh, as far as this bit goes that aren't really being discussed uh, enough. But in the end, I, I, I just, the bottom line is you, you sign him if you can, I think. So, so I get what, I get where you're coming from. What would you say is the, uh, biggest lost, worst offseason move for them, or if you don't, if or maybe something that you wanted them to do that they didn't do. Yeah, I mean it's tied together. I, I think I wanted them to spend on some shooting, um, and everybody kind of laughs when you say that about the Warriors because you know Thompson, Curry, Durant is is unfair, but uh, they, their bench just couldn't hit a three last year because Nick Young wasn't any good, and um, Iguodala couldn't hit a three, and and they basically just that's it. I mean Sean Livingston doesn't even shoot them. So uh, they really they, they failed to address their shooting issues, particularly on the bench. Um, and and I think, you know, five million bucks could have helped do that, even if it's just two guys that can make a three. Just get someone out there to spread the floor. And instead, um, they went with Cousins and, and Jonas Yurebko, who can shoot, but he's not a wing. He should probably play the four. Um, and so I'm not sure they, uh, really maximized what they could have done. So I guess that's a worst off season move because it's not really a loss, but, but that's something I think we should flag. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. And it's, again, we're both at the point where you sign cousins, if he's willing to take the taxpayers mid-level exception, but some more shooting would have been nice. And a lot of people, the other thing that a lot of people mistake the Warriors for is just this high volume three point chucking team. They no. were 16th in three-point attempts per 100 possessions last year. And then their bench specifically, which uh, you just talked about, and that would be my pick. You'd like to see them add a shooter. Maybe Jacob Evans helps them there, but is he even going to play? You don't really know. Um, They were 20, their bench was 28th in three-point percentage last year. More telltale, they were dead last in three-point attempts per 100 possessions. And it wasn't even close. The Warriors at 30, 14.8 attempts per one uh, three-point attempts per 100 possessions from their bench. The Indiana Pacers were at 29 and still shot more than 20 attempts per 100 possessions. That's a huge gap, and they haven't, if anything, they've lost shooting because Nick Young is gone. Yeah, right. That's at least someone who's going to take them. Do you view Quinn Cook? 
as that guy? Are you going to play Evans? Do you expect Iguodala to shoot uh, better during the regular season? Do you view Jonas Jarebko as that guy? And even if you do, the shooting to me really needed to come from probably the two or the three spots would have been ideal. And they just didn't go out there and do that. And again, maybe they think that Jacob Evans is just going to contribute right away, which might be typical Warriors after you look at what happened with Jordan Bell. Yeah, I mean, real quick on Evans, I watched a fair amount of him just because I, I was curious. And I, I, I'm, I'll i confess readily, I don't watch college basketball. I don't care about it. Wait, give us um, a moment to process this breaking news. <laughs> yeah, right. But so he, um, there's a, it's a, he's got a hitchy release. It's a little slow. It doesn't look versatile. As a catch-and-shoot guy, maybe. Um, but I, I mean, for me, he – my presumption right now is that he is not going to contribute as a shooter. I think he can defend, um, which maybe that's good for the bench because if you're going to play your Rebco a lot, you might need more of that. Um, the other guy we haven't talked about is Patrick McCaw, who I, I believe has not even signed yet still. Um, and he, you know, was people were pretty high on him before last year. He kind of flopped and then got hurt. Um, he's not a guy that's going to, you know, shoot four or five threes a game off the bench or even two or three. So uh, I just don't know where it's going to come from. And, and I, finally, I'd say, too, that the Warriors are not a team where it's very easy to excel as a young role player. Um, I've only kind of come around to this recently. And, and that's just because you're, you're inherently going to defer. You're just like, well, I could shoot this open three, but hey, Clay Thompson's on the floor. I definitely should not shoot this open three. Like This isn't going to be the best shot. And I think McCaw was really a victim of that. And I think Evans is going to run into that, too. Um, so it's, it's just not there. The shooting's not there. Um, but we've talked about a couple young guys. And so that's a good way to get into, uh, who you think is going to be a breakout player for this Warriors team. Um, so who, who's your guy? Who do you think is going to take a step forward? Um, I, I think it's just going to be, I, I almost want to be fairly bold and say that it's going to be, uh, Kavon Looney just because of kind of the defense he showed during the playoffs. But Jordan Bell is just the, easy pick for me. He should get some extended run um, while DeMarcus Cousins is out. A lot of people already say his defense is better than his offense, which is, I I don't know if I agree, but if it's true, it's kind of scary because I really like his offense. Just he's able to make, I know he's blessed with a ton of talent around him, but he's able to make these passes on the move. He looks like he's comfortable moving with the ball. And just as someone who can finish these lobs, get out in transition, isn't the most efficient player just yet he has some range and he's never gonna he's going to need time to get off his shots when he's not rolling towards the basket or finishing a lob if you're going to play minutes with the Warriors starters they'll get you that time if you're not one of the you know the Warriors take a lot of contested shots but those are their mega humans taking them they're going to get you um some uncontested looks and so I, I think they'll try and expand some range on his jumper this season and I could see him maybe taking some more threes or just spotting up from the corner, and uh, it's it's a no-brainer to me to pick him uh, just because the opportunity should be there at least early on with without DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, I agree. I think the pick is Bell. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned his passing because that's one of those things. I mean, I don't know how much of a pick-and-roll league it's going to be now with so much more switching, and that's maybe something to watch for him. Or That's probably a, a, a point in his favor because I think he does have – the capacity to be a really good switch defender, mm-hmm. but offensively, if if he's not a guy, if he's not going to roll, if that's not going to be available, then that does kind of take away what he's very good at is is finding the shooter in the corner on the short roll. 
Um, he did that several times last year, and it was really eye-opening because a young guy doesn't – I mean, that's a pass that really changed Draymond Green as an offensive player, um, rolling off of a you know pick-and-roll with Curry, and he'd find someone in the corner. Um, Bell can do that too. Um, but just real quick, I, you mentioned Looney. Bell's my guy for sure as a breakout player. Just He's super talented. But Looney, I think Steve Kerr trusts more, and I wouldn't be surprised if Looney was the starter um, ahead of Bell. Mm-hmm. Um, just because Looney is a right place guy, he never, ever plays outside of himself. And he's just, he's got an, it's all the most cliche stuff. Knows for the ball. It just, it, the ball finds him. He's a good rebounder. He's really limited athletically. Although I would say, you know, he had hip surgery on both hips in his first two seasons. So you maybe give the guy a minute to sort of get his athleticism back. Um, I think he could be a little springier and a little quicker this year. Um, but, uh, but he's someone to watch, but Bell is definitely the breakout guy. I don't think, I don't think there's another realistic pick you could possibly get to. Do you, are you ready for some basketball reference fun that would make Andy proud? Yes, please. Um, here is every player, not rookies, every player in NBA history who matched Jordan Bell's assist percentage last year, 16.9% and block percentage, uh, which is only two point shots, uh, which was 5.5 for Bell, while also playing 800 total minutes for the season. There's Bell, Andre Karolinko, did it twice, Oliver Miller, Shaquille O'Neal, Hakeem Olajuwon, and David West. Well, that's kind of fun. Just those um, just those six guys, which is just, you know, it's funny that David West did this, by the way, uh, right. last year for the Warriors. He qualified. <laughs> talk, about, talk about a small burst superhero. So I'm a, You know what? They're going to miss David West. We didn't talk about him. Um, just as a locker room guy, I think he he really did. He ever miss a long two he, while he was like, there? I don't think so. No, I mean, and he's a good passer, and he's just tough as shit. Like that guy. There was just a. I think we don't know sort of how loose or how contentious that locker room got last year. You heard whispers about it, but there was never a danger of like the ship capsizing as long as West was there because he's just such a. I mean, he was such a just a no bullshit guy. Um, that they are going to miss him. That's a, that's a big loss, but yeah, that's interesting for bell. Um, I'll be curious to see how much Kerr kind of lets him go, you know, because he really, Kerr didn't like the alley-oop to himself that bell threw last year. And that cost bell like tons of rotation minutes over several months after the fact. Um, so I think if bell, I don't know, tones it down a little bit, but still runs the floor. Cause that's another point of contention is he didn't run as hard as he, his athleticism should have made him run um consistently but yeah that guy that guy could really be something as a fifth option i mean he could really excel this year you could definitely use david west in a locker room that has demarcus cousins so yes you could Uh, yes you could who is your player most likely to be traded on this team Uh, gosh how hard is this one Um, free to hedge and just say that i don't want to pick anybody i'll no i mean yeah if i if i would say nobody but but i'm gonna pick anyway um i think of the big names Let's just go with the big names, um, and we'll just even we'll just confine this to the Warriors four All Stars. Um, I think it's Draymond, um, and like, and this is only going to arise in a disaster scenario where, like, just say uh, several injuries or whatever happens, something crazy happens, and it becomes clear, you know, by January or something that they're not going to win a title. I don't know what that would what that scenario entails, but let's just say we know that, and it's obvious. From there, I think you start looking at like, well, we know Draymond's not going to take a discount on his next deal. 
we're pretty sure he's not going to age well because he's undersized and uh, he, he, he gets by with, you know, brains and just trying as hard as humanly possible. Um, and so you might kind of try to get ahead of this and say, all right, Clay's going to be our guy. We're going to, we're going to give him what he wants, which might include a discount by the way. And we're going to try to get something for Draymond just to maybe, maybe this is a, a path to, you know, s- several steps down the road, we get Anthony Davis, maybe we, whatever. But I think if you had to sort of get out ahead of let's avoid signing this guy to a big deal that's going to age poorly. I think Draymond is the guy you move. Are you ready for my pick? And I actually made this pick uh, with the intention of thinking that it's possible that they could deal this player this season, Sean Livingston. And here's, here's my rationale. So he's partially guaranteed next year for 2 million. Who knows if they were planning on keeping him, I know next year's when the repeater tax kicks in. I don't think the Warriors push comes to shovel have a problem paying it that one year. New arena's opening. Maybe it'll be kind of we'll re-sign Clay and we'll just deal with this in 2020 when we know if Kevin Durant is still here or under contract and Draymond's entering free agency. But you look at this team and they're they suffer from complacency at points, or at least cruise control. And we saw it with their defense during the regular season last year. Uh, they still finished ninth for cleaning the glass, but it's just you—you you want that edge mid-season when you're going through January or February or March. And there were just again all these telltale signs. Like one of the things that blew my mind, Draymond Green, when you put him at center, that just used to be like the this is the end. Yeah, game over. Last year during the regular season, the Warriors' defensive rating with him on the floor at center was 116.9. They yep. were still in that plus, but that defense is just objectively terrible. And you look at Livingston, you look at the Warriors' need for spacing. What if this is just a scenario, just one example? Uh, midseason, Clippers have fallen out of the playoff race, and the Warriors are offering Sean Livingston and a pick, or Sean Livingston, and I don't know that they would offer Jacob Evans, but just Sean Livingston and something else for Patrick Beverly, who by that point, let's say he was healthy, no lag from his microfracture surgery gives you shooting, gives you defense on an expiring contract. That could be the type of move I see them making, just to sort of reinvigorate the defense, fills a need. And Sean Livingston has been great for the Warriors. I'm just not sure. And I would rather him run um, a pick and roll or just the half-court offense in general than Patrick Beverly. I just think there are players behind Stephen Curry who would be cleaner fits for the Warriors and – Patrick Beverly would be one of them. Again, that's just one scenario I'm throwing out there. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, your, your point on Livingston is, is well made. I think he's also someone that, you know, really last year he wasn't the point guard. I mean, if it was second unit minutes, Iguodala or, or even Cook towards the end was the guy bringing the ball up. Livingston's really like a wing now that doesn't shoot. So if you're also looking at, in addition to kind of juicing things up a little bit, just like, I mean, maybe, maybe he's someone that just, you know, you worry about Iguodala aging, but he may be someone that already is really like his skill set is very limited. And if he loses another step or two, then it's just like, what does this guy do for you? So the only thing I'd, I would, I'd counter with is like, obviously it's stupid to counter these because none of this is going to happen, but like they really, I think Livingston's an important locker room guy and you've seen Durant take less money. So Livingston could get paid a little more. Um, I think they really respect him and they might not do him like that um, moving him. 
So that's the only thing. But but I think we can agree that uh, it seems unlikely that any of this any moves are going to happen really, um, barring disaster. Look, just let me dream about Patrick Beverly and Stephen Curry being on the same team. If, if only to get him away from guarding Stephen Curry, I think that's not the worst idea. <laughs> Uh, he would make more of a difference than DeMarcus Cousins, probably. Which is, I, oh yeah, I agree. I think that's right. Better. Will the Warriors have a better defense or offense? Oh, uh, offense, right? Yeah, like they don't right. care. They like not caring manifests on defense, and uh, the Warriors do not care. So if they do, you, th- I'll put, I'm sure you're going to say offense too. Um, are so last year they were second offense, ninth defense. Where are they defensively this year? <sighs> Top half? Are they 15th or better? I don't think they're going to fall outside the top 10. I think they're still okay. just going to be there. There's so much just like if they half try, you know, like I, 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 was, I was flabbergasted by some of the fluctuations in effort last year, and they yeah. still finished ninth by cleaning the glasses metrics anyway. And so I could very easily, maybe they'll fall to 10th. I would be fairly surprised if they dropped out of the top 10, though. I feel I haven't really thought that hard about this, but I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a bold prediction that they're outside the top ten. Wow! Um, I, I just like you know the whole coasting thing doesn't get better in your fifth run to the finals after your versus your fourth, you know, um, and and especially if you consider like a lot of guys just aren't gonna play that much, so you're gonna have more bench minutes. I don't know. Maybe I need to think about this some more, but but it would not surprise me if if they were. Uh, a, a few spots worse defensively, but offense, like you roll out of bed, this offense is going to be top five, even if you're benching a bunch of guys and they don't care. I just don't, there's no way for it to be bad. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it's just, I, I can't even see, there's no scenario in which the defense is better than the offense too. Right. That's just absolutely. zero. Yeah. Zero. That's how they're, mm-hmm. although I guess defensively is how their bench can get by. Uh, yeah, maybe, but that's still not going to impact it. The thing I found the last note on the Warriors before we get to that, put a bow on it. Easy question. Uh, only one other team's bench, uh, generated fewer wide open looks relative to relative to all their field goal attempts, uh, than the Warriors bench last year. And that was the New York Knicks. That's some, that's some pretty sad company. Uh, playoffs or nah for this team. And if you say nah, that's fine. Um, what's their (laughs) ceiling? And that's fairly easy as well. Obviously title. Um, yeah, that was a, that was an easy, those last two, it's just like, well, what are we even talking about here? Um, who do you want to do next? Yeah, uh, so let's go right to the, the Clippers who finished second in the Pacific um, Division last year. They were 42-40 and 40, uh, despite losing Chris Paul and trading Blake Griffin. Their vitals per cleaning the glass, eighth in offensive rating, thanks basically to Lou Williams, 19th in defensive rating, and 18th in net rating. What was their best offseason move? That first of all, this is a really hard team to evaluate. They have a twenty-man um, rotation. They have a million guys, and like at least five hundred thousand of them are pretty good. So it's like <laughs> I don't, I don't know what to do with this. But so best offseason move is like a, is a non-move to me, which was avoiding a, a long-term commitment to DeAndre Jordan, um, and basically just letting him letting him go. Um, even though he was the one that opted out, I think, you know, there was a scenario where they would have said, okay, let's do it. You know, let's do the, let's, let's set the floor at the Clint Capella contract and whatever. Um, I think a, the previous Clippers regime that would have been on the table. Um, but with Jerry West aboard, um, sentiment is dead and you make the smart decision. And I think that was the right one. That was the right decision. Just saying, you know, thanks. Um, but, uh, maybe, uh, go play someplace else. 
because now, I mean, they got a billion dollars in cap space and um, they're super flexible. So uh, I think that was the right, the best thing they did was, was not committing to DJ. I agree, but I'm actually go- just for the sake of being different, and because I was going to pick this anyway. Draft or drafting, trading for whatever Shea Gilgis Alexander. He's going to be good. He's just going to be really good. I'm convinced that he might be the best point guard, even though he's kind of like wingy in the draft. It's like if Frank Nielakina was comfortable taking pull up jumpers, and uh, uh, that just excites me. He's he looks very fluid. Uh, a lot of people maybe think he's not explosive enough. I don't think it's going to matter. He's just long. I, w- I watched a ton of him uh, compared to not watching a ton of pretty much anyone else in college when I try and cram my studying into those final few weeks before the draft. I just think he's going to be really good for them, and I hope that they give him, because they have a jillion guards, I hope that they give him semi-free reign. And I, I'm not saying he has to start mostly because he probably won't. And I do think the Clippers want to try and make the playoffs next year for now. That could change the season goes on, but I want to see him get a, a ton of minutes. He's, he should be good defensively from the jump. And if his pull-up jumper translates uh, in the half court, he's just going to be lethal. Yeah. Give me, give me, um, uh, he's my, so, uh, well, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Um, cause I have him as my breakout guy just because of everything I've heard about him, but give me a comp for him. I know you said, Nilakino that could shoot it a little bit, but like, who does he move around the floor like? Who does he remind you of? Just pretend I don't know anything about college basketball, which will not be difficult. Who <laughs> who am I looking at when I look at him? <sighs> Put you on the spot. I don't. I guess I don't even know. Like, it's just he can play. Like, he looks yeah, like he can like, play. I didn't. I, I will say I'll disagree with what a lot of the popular comparisons were coming out of or leading into the draft. A lot of people mentioned a higher end Alfred Payton, um, mm. Sean Livingston. I don't necessarily see that the way they move. Sean Livingston would be a good comp, but it would have to be Sean Livingston on steroids with a guy that you think can hit 37, 38% of his pull up three pointers. And one of the bigger questions, and I, a lot of people don't think that he can be the the hub of an offense uh, as that primary orchestrator. I think mm-hmm. he'll get there, and okay, that's like that just lengthy guard type. And I'm trying to think of who might spring to mind there, like that that guard who is just he seems like he's so mashed together with a bunch of different players. Is I almost want to say the guard version of Chris Middleton, kind of. Okay. So you see, all right. Well, that's I'm, I'm well. I'm making my uh, my breakout pick. I'm feeling better about it now that you've explained a little bit about the guy I picked. Um, what's their biggest loss or worst offseason move to you? They're, I don't think DeAndre Jordan's their biggest loss. I'll get that out. You thought it was their best move, letting him go. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure that I, I agreed with them kind of getting Marcin Gortat and pulling that Austin Rivers trade. Um, I'm not sure you need to re-sign Avery Bradley either. I didn't really like or dislike any of their moves in a vacuum, though, because, and this will segue into the trade talk, like they have all these movable contracts. They still preserved their cap space. Uh, Avery Bradley is only $2 million guaranteed next year, and he'll yeah. pro- if you recoup his stock, he probably looks good to teams around the trade deadline. Uh, the one thing I'll say that might've been a little risky. I, we never saw how many years it was for, but if they would have signed Tobias Harris, that $80 million extension, 
I'm assuming it was a four year offer. Um, this was, I think it was, would you feel good about that? No. And I really like Tobias Harris and I think he'll be available in the off season for you to resign. That was interesting though, that they wanted to keep him that soon to where they were going to give him that, uh, he's younger. And so that deal isn't even going to take him. He'll still be in his prime when it's over. I get that. But $20 million a year for Tobias Harris, who I think is probably a top 40 player, uh, is still a lot. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I didn't even think about that. I mean, that would have been a potential worst move for me if they'd done it. Just like I, it's the same thing. I, I think he's a fine player, especially you know the more four he plays, the more I like him. But he's he's not a great defender, and he's definitely uh, put him on a title contender. Is he your fourth best guy? Like how much how much better is Tobias Harris than say Harrison Barnes? Like it or is he better? Um, I think. You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But uh, he he's someone that he's not someone you give 20 million a year to. I don't think under any circumstances, unless he just takes a huge leap and you have no choice when he hits free agency. The and I guess I could also kind of go with Jerome Robinson. If you were going to get Shea Gilgis Alexander and you already had 16 jillion guards, why? Yeah. Did you, you know, you had there would have been to me just. Michael Porter Jr., whatever, if you wanted to pass on that. But even like Zier Smith would have been interesting for them. Uh, Kevin Herter. uh, I like Josh Okogie. I don't know how many other people like him. Lonnie Walker, maybe even. I just, Jerome Robinson, to me, if you were going to go the backcourt route, could you have at least just gone? I I, I don't know. Like, you didn't need to go the backcourt route, is what I'm basically saying, if it was going to be Shea Gildas Alexander. And you could talk yourself, I think into Lonnie Walker playing some three uh, more so than a Jerome Robinson, but definitely Z.R. Smith injured now, of course, Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I just think that they should have, there was no way probably for them to have both Miles Bridges and Gilgis Alexander. I get that, but I, I didn't really understand that move, but I didn't really hate their off season. I don't know where they're going or what their plans are, but I didn't hate anything they did or even strongly dislike anything they did over the off season. No, I'm in the same boat. I think they were really measured. They didn't take any big swings other than the Harris thing, I guess. Um, and they, but they didn't. They're just right in the middle of everything. That's why they're so difficult to evaluate. Um, but uh, so let's. Although this next one, player most likely to be traded. Wait, can I interject like, for a second? Go, go ahead. Because I, I googled. I never looked at pro comps for Shea Gilgis Alexander. Um, I like I heard of him, but I never actively looked. And I was trying to see if what I said was on par with what might have been out there in the mainstream. It most definitely was not. And some of these comparisons are just Dante Exum was one, and he's just not as athletic as Dante Exum. Yeah, Exum's a nuclear athlete. Yeah. That guy is a top elite athlete for an NBA player. My favorite one, uh, and it's funny because then someone compared him to Kyle Anderson. And it's just like... I mean, <laughs> there's, not, there's not two different, more different players in the league. I think my favorite one, Josh Richardson was thrown out there. Uh, I don't think he's as athletic. Dellen Wright's probably fair, but I think he'll be better than that. My favorite one, and it's probably two... Oh, Jamal Crawford, by the way, was listed as well. My favorite, yeah. my favorite one, though, and it probably skews towards a little ambitious uh, looking at the physical tools, but someone said a combination of Jamal Murray and Javante Murray. Javante Murray, excuse me. And that, okay. I can see that. Um, Murray is definitely bouncier than Gilgis Alexander, but if it's basically just saying, hey, give Javante Murray a, a step back three point shot or something. And yeah. I could see Gilgis Alexander being that. 
I'll tell you what, I'm very interested in the player that is uh, those two Murrays combined. That's a hell of a player. I will also say that I was super high on Justin Patton last year who did not play for Minnesota, really. So uh, take all this with a metric ton of salt and tequila. Who's getting traded? This is tough because I think there are so many candidates. I see the Clippers as the team that is probably best built to pull off a, a trade for Jimmy Butler than any other team in the league because they have assets that will help the Timberwolves, but that aren't necessarily valuable to their own big picture. And when you look at Boston, a lot of their pieces are like, well, look what they could do for us long-term, and Jimmy Butler's a free agent. And you say that about a lot of other teams as well. I'm going to say, though, Avery Bradley. I I think it's going to be him, because if you want to carve out dual max slots next summer, you're going to have to waive him anyway. Uh, it would be nice to have him at that $13 million price point should you swing and miss on everybody. Uh, but if you're going to build a trade for a Jimmy Butler or maybe even a Kyrie Irving or maybe a Damian Lillard, he's just a good starting point because if those teams, uh, the Celtics, maybe they want him back, but let's say the Blazers and the Timberwolves, and there are other scenarios out there, maybe they don't want to dive into a full rebuild. Avery Bradley's that guy who's going to help you right away, and then the Clippers can give you other stuff too, uh, whether it's picks or or some of their prospects. Man, you're know. good at this. Who did you uh, have? I, I, uh, well, I was going to say, you're you're good at coming up with trades. I feel like your employer should have you uh, do a bunch of slideshows about uh, made-up trades. Um, I, I got two. Um, the first is Gallinari, just because this wow. is I just sort of like get into a position where it's like, what would I do? And I would want to move him just to dump that money. He's like the only bad deal on their books, and it's not even really that bad. Um, but he's going to be hard to move. Um, I think Patrick, uh, I think Beverly is a real candidate. Um, just as a rental, That's a good one. Yeah. because somebody, I mean, just the, the idea of Patrick Beverly fits on every team, a guy will make open threes and guard the opposing team's point guard like crazy. Like that, that, that plays anywhere, but also because there's a chance that if say he stays healthy, I've already said there's a million guards on this team. Um, and he's just going to be in the way of younger guys like Shea that you want to develop. Um, so I think there's kind of a two pronged reasoning for for him being a guy to move um and obviously he's not part of the clippers or any team's long-term future he's he's a role guy so i could i could really see him going although i would do anything possible to move gallinari as as long as it didn't mean taking on money uh that would clog things up uh, for next summer even yeah if, if you shave money even if you're taking a player back who is still on the books for next year but you shave like five to seven million dollars off of what Gallinari is making, which is 22.6 million that year. That's huge. Yeah. And, and, you know, too, you could talk if you're a contender and Gallinari looks pretty healthy, you could really talk yourself into him, uh, helping you. Cause like, say I, I'm not going to come up with a good team for this, but let's just say, Miami. Hypothetically, just yeah, right. <laughs> let's say though, uh, you are, I don't know, uh, the bucks. And you're just, you know, you want to get Giannis over to center a little more um, and you, you want to do something that's going to get you some spacing and more creation, like secondary creation. Maybe you talk yourself into Gallinari. I don't know what you give up, but but just, you know, a good team could find a spot for him if he was healthy enough to play, which obviously is is always the big question mark. Yeah, and, and he can still be good offensively when he plays. Yep, so yeah, he I'm, can. I'm with you there. I'd be interested to see what kind of sweeteners they would have to include. But something interesting with Miami, like what if they were just like 
you know, we'll give you Tyler Johnson for Gallinari because you're saving, you know, $3 million and change next year off the salary. Or maybe you build something around James Johnson for Gallinari because the Heat just have so many bigs right now. Yeah. I, there might be teams that would talk themselves into it. Better defense or offense for the Clippers? This one I think, is pretty easy, right? I think it's probably offense, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just because I don't think the defense is going to be any good at all. Um, cause you're going to be playing, say Gallo plays a lot, say, uh, Lou Williams plays a lot. You're going to play some young guys. Um, Harris is going to play a lot. He's not much defensively. Gortat, I think is just really gotten past the point of being like passable and now is a negative. Um, so they're going to really struggle to guard. I, I would be stunned if their offense was eighth again, though. I was really surprised it was that good last year, but the defense, I think it's going to be hard for it not to be a bottom 10 defense to me. Yeah. They don't have. Who's Luke Bamute is their best defender on this team, and yeah. maybe Shea Gilgis Alexander. Well, I mean, Bradley has a reputation as a defender, but I think we all know now that you know on ball defense is good, but team defense matters more. And he's never the numbers don't really bear out that he helps that much as a team defender. What will be interesting about their offense, though, Lou Williams can't possibly repeat everything no way. That he did last year. Uh, he was in the 72nd percentile as a scorer out of pick and roll, he was fairly efficient in isolations he just shot and scored the hell out of the ball last year and he is a scorer he'll get his points but my god can they come as efficiently as they did I just don't I don't see it yeah I mean he's someone that if he is your if he's controlling your offense it's going to be okay but it's never going to be great it just it's not there's a cap on how good you can be offensively if he's your your sort of your quote-unquote alpha playoffs are not for this team I don't think so. I, I think it's it's not a hard nah, but it's a nah. Like I, the, the West, you know, they might win forty games. You know, do you, does that seem unreasonable to you? They might win forty four. Um, that's possible. But I could see a downside of you know they're in the high twenties. Guys get hurt. The young guys aren't as good right away. Um, so I then the West is too good. I, I just I don't see the playoffs for them. I don't see it either. If they do make the playoffs, their ceiling is clearly the first round. I hope they don't end up in that 40 to 44 win territory. If it becomes clear that you're hovering that 10th spot as you get to January and February, hopefully you start selling off pieces and, and just get worse. Yeah. Cause that's a calculation that a lot of teams will have to make because seventh and eighth is, is no better. I don't think that maybe you get the playoff gate, you get whatever, you get a couple home games, but you're going to get roasted by whoever you play at the one or two seed. So you're probably better off just, you know, getting down 10, 11, 12 if you can help it. At if that you make point. the playoffs, you lose your first round pick to Boston. Uh, right. And the good thing about that pick, though, is that if they don't convey it this year or next, it just turns into, I think, a second round pick in 2022. So you have an incentive. So it's it's this way. If it looks like you're not going to make the playoffs this year, steer out of them and then keep yep. your pick. And then next year, uh, if you didn't keep your pick, it's because you probably signed a star. And then if you do keep your pick, your your obligation is gone. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't make a lot of sense for them to make the playoffs, frankly. Here's a fun team. I don't know. I feel like maybe we've talked about them before, perhaps. The Los <laughs> Angeles Lakers last year, their vitals are almost irrelevant, but 35 yeah. and 47. They were, per clean the glass, 23rd in offensive efficiency, 14th in defensive efficiency, and 21st in net rating. Grant, I don't know. What do you think their best offseason move was? Oh, man. Probably uh, drafting Mo Wagner or yeah, Wagner, that was I guess. That was it for me. He seems like a real pro. He's just going to, you know, get in there and work hard. 
et cetera. Et cetera. No, yeah, I mean, it's LeBron. We don't have, is there anything to talk about? I mean, like, for with him, like, Can he we just talk about how much LeBron. he didn't it's, want to live anywhere but LA because he gave them four years player option, so three guaranteed years, and then they went out and they signed basically no one who fits well with him aside from right. Contavious Caldwell Pope. Yeah, so their biggest loss or worst offseason move is like a four-way tie, right? I mean, the four guys they signed, is it, it's a joke. It's it's like astounding to me. Stevenson, Rondo, Beasley, McGee. Um, what were you – just why? Like, right. So it, this here's, – here's my thing. I think LeBron is a shitty talent evaluator. Um, I think and, – and I think that, you know, like, look, the guy's great at – a million things. I don't think he's perfect. Like Shabazz Napier is a fine player, but, but like that was LeBron's guy. He loved that guy. And I just think that, you know, some of the people that they brought into Cleveland, clearly LeBron had to have been consulted. I just refuse to believe he didn't have a ton of say and their supporting cast, just, you know, Jeff Green and who was way better than even he should have been. And he still sucked last year. Um, there are just too many guys that LeBron seems to like that, that just because they're competitive or they're, supposedly savvy like rondo or or whatever supposedly um, savvy like, yeah. i don't yeah rondo's a whole other thing for me um he's a genius uh, except he just doesn't do anything that smart coaches would tell a player to do um yeah i i just i don't understand their signings they make no sense i think they have seriously risked wasting a year of lebron's prime because i don't think the team is a title contender um so it's i mean you got lebron you got four years of him, but you don't know how many of those four years are going to be like LeBron years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think effectively wasting this year with just ridiculous signings, even if you know you're going to get nutty talent in next summer, maybe they know that already. Um, I just think it's it's a huge risk to waste a year of LeBron's prime when you don't know if he has another one. And it's do you believe that it was a calculated direction? And I kind of do just because. They had to know if they waited out the market. They could have given Lance Stevenson's money to Bamute, who's just a better fit beside LeBron right. than Lance Stevenson. Exactly the type of defender slash low-volume three-point shooter they could have used. And so it seems like they're doing this on purpose, which is even more troublesome. Yeah. The, the only way this makes sense is if in the process of talking to LeBron, um, he said, hey, here's some guys – McGee and Beasley, I think you could write off as like, eh, whatever, you know, they're end of the bench values. Um, But I think Stevenson and Rondo, they just had to have been two guys. LeBron was like, hey, I need you to go get these guys. These guys are dogs. These guys will compete like that type of thinking. Um, And I think that's just a mistake. Um, But it doesn't it it couldn't have been uh, an accident. I, I think I think those guys were part of the deal. Uh, what would you well, so what what do you boil down their worst offseason move to? I, I just called it. One. I just picked Stevenson because yeah. um, I think Rondo can help a little bit, but I, I think Stevenson just is a negative on both ends and, uh, you know, hijacks possessions and can't be counted on to make a shot. So I, I you could talk me into any of the other three, but, I, but for me, Stevenson's the worst. Who's your most likely break? I'm with you on that one, by the way. That one uh, was something that I thought that they never should have touched with a 10 foot pole. Uh, yeah. Who's, who's their most likely breakout player for you? They got a lot of these, I think. Um, I think it's Lonzo, though. Um, I kind of have gradually, not on purpose, um, ended up in a, in the pro-Lonzo camp. Um, 
and maybe that's a reaction to just, you know, he, he's, I feel bad for the guy. I think we've talked about this before, like all the, all the nonsense surrounding him really isn't his fault. Um, and all the expectations aren't really his fault. Um, but I think he's a good player. I think he's got all the intangible stuff. He's really smart. I think he's going to be an excellent defender. He sort of already is an excellent defender. Um, all he's got to do is, is finish a little better at the rim, make a couple threes. And I think he'll be in position to do that this year. Um, if he can stay healthy, I think, you know, he, he, he had a rough go last year on the injury front that I think really as a rookie, that's brutal because you got to just get your reps and he missed a lot of reps. So I like him. I don't know what a breakout means. I mean, he's not going to be an all-star, but I think hopefully after next year, we'll be looking at Lonzo's sort of forecasted career and saying this guy's gonna be really good um which i don't know everybody was sold on uh last year are you ready for me to make andy proud again do it over the past four decades four players have averaged at least nine rebounds 10 assists two steals and one block per 100 possessions they are draymond green lebron james ben simmons and lonzo ball yeah that checks out i mean he it's funny like what he's good at Everyone talks about the court vision and, and blah, 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 and the weird shot, but he's like a real intangibles guy, like going to get the ball, contributing in ways other than scoring. That makes sense to me. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm surprised by that stat, but not bowled over, you know? He is, um, maybe not oddly, but he is not my pick. <laughs> <laughs> I think he could be. And they, like you said, they have a lot of candidates. I would go with Brandon Ingram. And yeah, that's I a think good one. You, you know, I'm higher on Brandon Ingram than most. He, Two things stand out to me, or the one thing that stands out to me the most is he looks like he has a feel for the game in the half court, where yes, there's some of this awkwardness when he goes to shoot on the move, but he can get to his spots, and he knows um, how to rise and fire over guys, even if the timing's a little off. He knows how to use his length um, around the rim, even if he settles for floaters and jumpers when he really should be getting to the rim more, trying for easier layups or angled layups he's getting to understand his length on defense he'll get better on defense as he gets stronger and some of the numbers last year started to catch up with the eye test he didn't shoot a ton of threes but he also rated in the 76th percentile of spot ups if that is going to hold you put that alongside lebron james and he's going to be a fantastic fit and then when you look at from January 5th on last year, uh, which was a 24-game sample size for him, he averaged 16.4 points, 5.3 rebounds, 4.9 assists, and he shot 49% from three-point range on about 2.5 attempts per 36 minutes. Not crazy volume, and you probably want to see him get to the free-throw line a bit more, but he did a good job there during that stretch, too. It was about 4.5 attempts per 36 minutes. He has a great feel for the game, and I, I think he's coming into his own there, and I also do think he's someone who can work off the ball and work off LeBron James and, and just be super successful. Lonzo Ball's fit seems a little bit harder alongside LeBron James because right now he's going to make his biggest impact to me as someone who's on the ball, and how much do we buy into LeBron willing to cede and surrender that many touches right now? Yeah, you're really making me reevaluate my pick. I, I mean, Ingram, I think clear, I would concede that Ingram's ceiling is is way higher than than Ball's because obviously the shooting is a problem and, and the finishing at the rim and the limited athleticism, I think, is a problem um, for Ball. But yeah, Ingram, 
Ingram is someone that, you know, five years from now, it, 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 I think he's way more likely to be the Lakers' best player than, than Ball is. So that's a good pick. I like that. Yeah, and Ingram shot 41.1% on spot-up threes last year. Again, this yeah. the not a ton of them. I will say this, though. Do you know who I think is the most seamless fit alongside LeBron on the Lakers of the Kitties? Kyle Kuzma. Yeah. Just because it lets him settle into the role as more of a tertiary scorer. Maybe we see him more uh, running a bunch of bench units. And he's intriguing to me because he's someone who hit 37.5% of his catch-and-shoot threes last year, which accounted for more than a third of his shot opportunities. And the other thing is 61 players uh, used 80 or more isolation possessions last year. Only one, and his name is James Harden, averaged more points per possession than Kuzma. His ceiling is capped because he's older. He's yeah. 23. I get that, but he's he's not even a microwave scorer. Like his points, you could see them coming efficiently for a while and in a variety of different ways. We know where I'm talking about. Well, Ingram will come, Ingram will become a lot more efficient creating for himself, or we'll bank on Lonzo Ball being fine shooting and cutting off the ball eventually. He seems like he can already do a little bit of everything, which should make for just this nice, clean, semi-immediate fit beside LeBron. Yeah, you know, it's funny. He's, we mentioned Jeff Green. He's kind of like what the idea of Jeff Green is supposed to be, <laughs> right? Like, he can hit a three. He'll put it on the floor. He's, you know, not much of a passer, but he's going to get you get you points in a lot of different ways. And he's, like, got some undersized four size. I like it. I think he's he's the he's the platonic ideal of Jeff Green. And that'll work. Um, better defense or offense? Uh, player most likely to be traded first. Oh, Let's whoops. Try to skip ahead, sir. Come on. Oh, sorry. Oh, I should have. Why did I skip this? Because my guy's Lonzo. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, why not? I'm going bold on these. Um, I don't think there's like that many good ones here now that Dang is gone. Um, but, you know, if it's kind of the same logic as Draymond Green. Like if things go sideways, if LeVar is clashing with LeBron and his camp or is is otherwise disrupting things, whether that's criticizing Luke Walton or blah, 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 or maybe there's a clash with James directly. Um, I could, you know, I could see the Lakers saying, all right, you know, this isn't going to work for partly what you talked about is, you know, Lonzo on the ball is what Lonzo does. And if, if, if that isn't going to work, then you maybe reevaluate things while his value is still high. And is you know, he's got a couple of years left on that rookie deal. And you could just see the Lakers deciding like, you know, this guy's not that necessary for us and we could get something. Um, so, uh, that's how I could see it being Lonzo, but, um, you know, I'm obviously not predicting he'll be traded. I just, I can see a scenario where that's how it plays out. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and he, yeah, I, I agree there too, because he's kind of, I wouldn't want to give up on Ingram alongside LeBron, but if you're going to have no. LeBron and you're going to go after another star, Lonzo's kind of more expendable in that right. sense. I think it's going to be Rondo just because $9 million expiring contract. You can combine it with something else. And I know they don't want to take money back, but maybe there's an expiring contract they can get by they're still giving up their first round pick, which won't be too valuable. Or maybe they're giving up Mo Wagner because people like him for some reason. And you're just taking back another expiring contract of a player who can help you just a little bit more. I mean, maybe Dallas is trying to steer into its tank and wants to get rid of uh, Wesley Matthews. They're not taking back Rondo. Of course, that'd be a disaster, but that's like (laughs) kind of the, just the situation that they could be in. Maybe it's Terrence Ross in Orlando for all we know. And maybe Orlando wants to look at Rondo because they have no point guards and they're willing to go Ross for Rondo 
and Mo Wagner or something like that. Uh, it's these are again Ross is coming back from injury. I understand this. Those are just kind of my examples. Or maybe it's the Lakers need a center too. I mean, like maybe it's Vucevic. They they could use. Uh, the expiring contracts to get him and Orlando is at the point where it's, they just want something for him. They have Bamba, they have Gordon, they have um, Jonathan Isaac and his questionable stance on on uh, on family values. That was a nice little Twitter rant he went on the other day. So I, I think that it'll just be Rondo because it's expiring. It's worth actual money so they can take back real money. And I wouldn't put it past them to include a pick or a guy like Wagner to get someone who helps them now and doesn't compromise their flexibility for 2019. That is the best thing you can say about the Rondo deal, which is that it's for enough money over what it should be, that it's like a movable piece in a deal that could get you someone like a real that's player. A, yeah. Yeah. That's about the best you can do. Um, so not for this team. Uh, well, better offense or defense. Now you're skipping. Oh, wow. Sir. We are all um, over the place. I'll say I'll say offense, which is kind of fun after last year's numbers, because um, obviously their defense was significantly better. But you add LeBron, you got the young guys getting better. It, it doesn't it doesn't seem. And you factor in that if LeBron is playing a bunch of minutes, he's probably not going to be trying on defense, and I think that'll trickle down. Um, so <laughs> I think these numbers are going to come towards the middle a little bit. Um, so I think offense will be better, but I I'm not sold. The offense is going to be great. Um, it'll have to be pretty good for my next couple, which go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you can continue. The spacing is a legitimate issue for them. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, they don't have, they don't have a lot of guys that are going to make shots. Um, I mean, you could cobble something together with like Kuzma KCP around LeBron and I don't know what you do. Uh, other, there's a, there's ways to be decent, but bench, you know, there's just not a lot of depth in terms of the shooting. Um, but do you think it's going to be offense? Do you think their offense will be better or defense? I do. And it's for, I, I, just to expand upon the reason you gave LeBron, isn't going to try that'll be contagious. And also I'd like to point out that the players they signed to play defense are not exceptional defenders. Woo buddy. That is, yeah, that we didn't even talk about that. So it's just Lance Stevenson in theory is a good defender. Rondo will help you when you're on national TV, maybe, which will be a bunch at least. They're not, you know, even if Lonzo Ball makes the leap defensively, maybe they are an average team, but the offense should be above average, like you said, because of LeBron, improvement from the young guys. The, the spacing is a legitimate concern, though. I do hope, and I, I'm talking myself into this more and more, even though I feel like I shouldn't be, I just feel like there are going to be a bunch of minutes with Ingram, LeBron, and Kuzma, or Beasley. So out of those four, I think three of them will play at the three, four, five. So where it's it's like LeBron is the center, but you try and throw Ingram or more likely Kuzma or Beasley on these bigger bodies that he doesn't have to defend. And then that creates a ton of space for you. Yeah. And looking you know, at their to, center depth chart, that's what makes me hopeful. Again, I don't think I should get there, but but maybe they will. I, one thing we didn't even we didn't even mention Hart. Um and you know, his role is not gonna be big but i think he's one of the few guys that could really help on both ends potentially um i think you know just to put a bow on this topic um if their defense can stay at 14th i think that's a huge win um no because i think their offense that happens in my opinion yeah because their offense should be top 10 right or, or at least in that in that neighborhood um even with the spacing concern so if they can hold steady they don't have to get better Boy, that'd be a that'd be a big deal for them, which gets us to playoffs or no, you can go first. I'm gonna say yes. Their ceiling to me is the second round because I don't think they're going to get past 
the teams that would await them there. Probably the Jazz, maybe a healthy Thunder team. It could be the Warriors uh, or the Rockets. If you told me that the Lakers won 50 games, I would not be surprised. And I think they're being a little bit underrated in that sense. At the same time, if they're planning on resting LeBron, um, as they should because this season isn't a title contention year, they're not going to be a top four seed in the West then. So that's why I'm at the second round. You could probably convince me the Western Conference Finals if things break right, but that to me says more about how wide open the tier below the Warriors is, looking at that number two and, and three seeds than it really does about the Lakers right now. But I'm curious to see where you kind of land. On uh, I, I wish you'd said no, because I'm open to to no for, for making the playoffs. Um, I think the, the range of possibilities is just enormous for this team. Um, but I said yes. And it was just because, I mean, I as I was preparing for, for this, I, I just couldn't really get past the idea that I think, you know, I don't think LeBron is going to slip significantly. Although that's possible. I don't think that'll happen. And I think if you could guarantee me LeBron is going to be healthy, um, I think they have enough to make the playoffs. Now, the ceiling question is much more complex because I think we're kind of seeing this the same way. Like they're a first round out if they're seventh or eighth because I just they're not beating the Warriors. And I don't know who's going to be two, Utah, Houston, whatever. But I'm going to assume that the second seed in the West is going to be like a 58-game winner or something mm-hmm. something like that. They're not beating them. But if they get to sixth, let's say they get to sixth or even fifth, um, maybe you're looking at OKC as a first-round opponent. Maybe it's Utah that just didn't quite put it all together this year. Um, they can win that series. Um, I just I think LeBron is still that good. Um, and then after that, the conference finals are a possibility. Like you just, you just don't know, but, but it's all contingent on them winning enough games in the regular season to avoid the bottom two in, in, in the West. And if they can do that, then their ceiling is probably higher than everyone except, uh, you know, crazy Lakers fans think it is. <laughs> they might have the most variance in floor to ceiling of any team in the NBA, or at least close to it. Because I think if you told me that they're not going to make the playoffs, I wouldn't, completely scoff at it but if you told me mm-hmm. they made it to the western conference finals i could talk myself into that as well totally uh, yeah it's it's all lebron it's it, it's yeah, what it's, version of lebron is going to be there this year basically the age age 34 season which is crazy with a billion miles on him yeah I, i'm very interested to see how many games he rests that might be the big determining factor and then what does their defense look like with him right that brings us to everyone's favorite team the sacramento kings uh they're they're 2017 2000 <laughs> 18 vitals or uh, the next two teams for them are, are just depressing, but uh, <laughs> sorry. Better, better than I thought. Can I say they were better than I thought they were going to be the Kings? That's <laughs> yeah, fine. that's fine. Uh, it's, you know, I'll say this about the Kings. A lot of people get mad because the Kings are low hanging fruit, but they deserve almost every iota of criticism that they get. And that's rare yeah. that you can say that. I agree. I, uh, it's, it's, it's to the point where I, I constantly have to check myself and ask if I'm being too harsh or if I'm piling on or if I am just plucking the low hanging fruit. But, but then the answer is always no, because they just do so many ridiculous. So like when the story came out about their, I don't know what his role was, but some kind of marketing employee yeah. or in charge of uh, branding or ad sales or whatever was, was basically siphoning money away from the Kings and buying houses with it. It was like, yeah, that would happen to the that Kings. Tracks. Yeah, <laughs> that, that works. There's, I don't need to know anything else. 
Um, it's just ridiculous. So uh, with that said, uh, did they make a good offseason move that you would call their best? Well, I'll say they were 27-55. and 55. Uh, yes. For cleaning the glass, they were 29th in offensive efficiency, 28th in defensive efficiency, and 29th in net rating. Their best offseason move, I mean, this is, I'm now I feel like I'm just being like overly mean, but yeah, probably I got nothing. It's just, <laughs> look, here's, and look, no, you know what? They deserve this. And I'm going to say this right now. I like Bielita. I like Yogi Ferrell. They had no rhyme or goddamn reason to their offseason. And that really just bugs me because you're going to say, or at least that was the word that was out there, that they didn't want to draft Luka Doncic because they didn't want to take the ball off De'Aaron Fox's hands. You tried to pay Zach Levine $78 million. You signed Yogi Ferrell. And then you need wings, so you go out and you poach poach Bielita, who's a good player, who's also 30 years old, should probably spend most of his time at the four, even if you talk me in to him playing the three. And Minnesota, I will say, did survive both offensively and defensively some of the minutes he spent at small forward last year. If you're giving time to him, you're not playing Justin Jackson. You're not playing or Buddy Heald or Bogdanovich. I don't understand why this team cannot settle on a direction. And you know what? If they think Marvin Bagley's better than Luka Doncic, fine. But what you did after the fact didn't validate your reasoning for not drafting Doncic. And why in the actual effity F are you drafting Bagley when you have a jillion other four fives on your team? It's even if you've given up on Scala BCA or Willie Cauley-Stein or Harry Giles, you, you didn't give up on all of them. You didn't give up on all of them. And it's, it's just mind-melting to me that you can come off as this incompetent, and I don't look at them as saying that they have a direction. Nothing they did this offseason. They didn't try and get bad contracts in a trade that came with picks. They tried to give out shitty contracts to Zach Levine. And after not drafting Doncic, that's really what just I, – I can't get over it, and I'm not going to get past it. And so maybe my vision of them is unfairly – tainted but I also don't think it is and they have some nice young talent I believe in Buddy Heald I like Bogdanovich I think De'Aaron Fox the efficiency wasn't there last year the comfort he kind of showed off the dribble some of the decisions he made in crunch time later in the season I I thought there was evidence there that he could be a good player they've done zero zilch zippity nada to prove to me that they're going to ever assemble the right talent around their most key players. I don't really know what to think of Bagley as an impression. Maybe he's fine as a rookie. Maybe he's a fine talent. You can't convince me they're going to put the right players around him. And now they're approaching this awkward territory where they're going to need to reinvest in some of these dudes or get rid of them. In each of the next four seasons, they're going to have to deal with these free agencies or extensions. And it begins this year with Willie Cauley-Stein's restricted free agency. Are they going to bring him back? There should at least be a market for his services at more than the qualifying offer. Buddy Heald is going to be extension eligible, and then he's staring down restricted free agency the following year. And then we're talking about De'Aaron Fox the next year being extension eligible, entering restricted free agency, with Bogdan Bogdanovich there as well. It's just, they they are approaching a pitiful point in their development without having helped, without having had developed their thinking to me. And that, I can't give them any sort of passing grade for the offseason, because to me it seems like they screwed up in every area imaginable. I apologize to the rant for Kings fans, but apparently I'm I have very impassioned takes on both them and the Hornets this offseason, none of which are very flattering. 
All right. I have a hundred things to say, and I don't disagree with anything you said. Um, but I will. Lim- I'll, I'll get to two. First, I picked Yogi Ferrell as as my best offseason move by default. I don't, don't think it's a good deal. I don't think it matters. I just wanted to write something in that spot. Um, just as a general thing, two things. One, um, James Harden and Chris Paul played together last year, and everybody was cool with it. James Harden was cool with it. The Rockets were cool with it. So what you are telling me, Kings, is that De'Aaron Fox is more entitled to ball dominance than James Harden was because you're worried about bringing another guy in who's maybe going to be a, a non-ball type of guy in Luka Doncic. That's insane. Um, and just as a, as a, as an under, as I guess, overarching idea, um, you are nowhere near good enough to be making decisions and picking players based on a guy who just finished a rookie season that you think might be pretty good. That's in, also insane. Um, secondly, if Bagley was their guy and for whatever reason, maybe it was Doncic said, screw it. I'm not working out for you. I don't want to play there. If you draft me, I am not coming that, that to me, if I were Luka Doncic, that's what I would have done. Um, but let's say Bagley really was their guy. Um, we know that there was a market for that pick. And if they had wanted to, because the Hawks freaking did it, they could have picked up another first and traded way the hell down to like eighth and gotten Bagley anyway. Right. Why did that not happen? And that I don't understand. I have yet to hear a decent explanation for why that 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 didn't work out because their asking price didn't even need to be what Atlanta's was because they were going to trade down way far. I just it's crazy. I don't understand it. Um, they did nothing. And you mentioned that nothing they did made sense and they didn't seem to have a plan this off season, whether it was taking on bad money, whether whatever, um, that's how it is every off season. And certainly last year too, we all killed the Kings last year for not for just deciding to sign pricey veterans for no reason. Um, those are the two things to me, making a decision on who you're drafting based on De'Aaron Fox, who I like, but who is not someone who should affect your draft strategy and not getting anything for taking the biggest reach in the draft uh, when they didn't have to. They were going to get Bagley wherever they wanted to in the first eight. Trade down. Get another first. God, they don't have their first this year of, of all teams. They should have been the one just going, just you know, beating down every door. Can we get a first? Can we get a first? And they didn't do it. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. I don't get it. We agree on this. Um I just, I guess I'll transition to their biggest loss or worst offseason move is just botching the draft, is taking Bagley over Doncic when clearly there was a way to get so much more out of that spot. That, that to me, in an offseason full of terrible moves, that was the worst to me. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. And if we, if you want to say uh, their best offseason move, if you want to give them something, they haven't ruined their cap space for 2019, sure. but that is not for lack of trying. Well, and also cap space doesn't mean shit in Sacramento. That's it doesn't, it's not the same. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. Um, if they had signed Zach Levine, that might've been my worst move. And you can make the case that even giving him that offer sheet was the worst move. Um, but yeah, you're, that's fair. They didn't, they didn't spend up a bunch of space. They tried to, they, they really tried to, the Levine deal would have been a big problem. Um, but it's, it's, it's preserving cap space in LA is about as different as it gets from preserving it in Sacramento. That's just not how it works. Yeah, and uh, so definitely their worst move to me was passing on Doncic. We could come to be wrong on that, I suppose, if he is a bust. But you have Dirk, obviously his teammate now, but coming out and saying he's one of the best uh, youngsters he's ever seen, that's certainly not comforting 
if, if you're a Kings fan. They should have taken Doncic or traded down. They boxed the draft one way or the other because even if Doncic ends up being a bust, you could have gotten something at the yeah. expense of another team. You could have gotten another first. I mean, that was the going rate to get Doncic. I, I mean, it's just it's it blows my mind. I don't understand it. Um, what are we on here? Uh, breakout player. I love how you have to keep me on track uh, on on mine and Andy's podcast. I literally the Kings just threw me off the rails. They anyway. do weird things to you. Me too. I, I look. I try to scale it back because I live near Sacramento and I just I don't want to be that guy. But like you started out saying, the Kings just make it impossible to not be that guy that tears them apart. Um, my breakout guy's Fox. You you mentioned a lot of what I like about him. Um, he's just so fast. Just, I mean, it's funny. Like we get into these nuance about player skills, like, Oh, he's, he's really good at snaking the pick and roll, or he sees the short corner. It's just, he's fast. De'Aaron Fox is freaking fast. And, um, so that to me makes his floor like a way better Ish Smith. If he just never gets better and Ish Smith still has a job. (laughs) Um, so I just like the idea of him, you know, getting more comfortable, um, kind of getting the job right away this year, which he didn't last year because George Hill was there. Um, so even if he doesn't develop skill wise, which he needs to, especially with, with his jumper and off the dribble shooting and, and knock off, you know, taking 20% of his shots from 16 to 23 feet. Um, I think he'll just be better. And, 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 you know, on a team that doesn't have a lot of breakout guys, unless you really squint, I think that kind of sets him apart. Yeah. I don't, I don't even think there's a question. There's, there's also, I hope that his development isn't stunted by maybe they want to play Yogi Ferrell a bunch. I'm someone who actually likes Frank Mason. And now you, you have uh, Bogdanovich, you have Buddy Heald. There are a lot of guys who could need the ball in their hands. And Bagley's a guy who needs the ball uh, in his hands, a fair deal. And I hope that doesn't end up taking away from his development. Uh, the jump shot stuff you said, I'm, I'm, I'm like right there with you. Uh, his finishing around the rim seemed to get better as the the season sort of worn on. And if you have that speed burst, uh, that should always be available to you. And, and hopefully he just improves his uh, sort of shot distribution relative to what he did uh, as a rookie. I, I'm interested to see what he also does more in crunch time. There were just some moments that I watched him last year down the stretch of close games that the Kings played. And I looked at him and I was just, and I'm not someone who really does this, uh, when players, you're looking for something good to say about them, but it looks like these. He he just has it, and I watch him in those moments, and I, I honestly think that he could end up being really good defensively as yep. well. Uh, it's just if if he can develop a three point shot or even just a reliable pull up, uh, which John Wall has never even really done, um, that'll be huge for his growth. Yeah, John Wall has always been the easy comp for him, um, which I mean, obviously uh, Fox didn't have a rookie season like Wall did. Um, but in a lot of ways, I think Fox could like Fox's, what you mentioned, just, he has it. And, and I, I totally agree with that at the end of games. I, I just feel like, um, he's confident and, and, but the main thing is like his effort is always at 10 and, and that's going to affect his defense. Like you said. Um, and I think just competitively, John Wall is, is a real switch flipper on both ends and on defense, the switch has been off for three years. Um, but, but I think Fox is someone that's just going to effort wise, Focus-wise, intensity-wise, you're never going to have to worry about that with him, and and that's a that's a significant portion 
of, of what it sort of takes for a guy to kind of establish himself as, as I mean, he might be a star. It's, it's possible if the Kings don't mess him up, which, which is also very possible. Well, and that's the, and I, I misspoke before it was, there were late season moments in crunch time that really impressed me, but before he hit the rookie wall, before the Kings kind of hit like full tank, uh, that's when like you were watching him and he shot 60% in the restricted area. Um, yeah. The other thing that stood out, I remember, and I should have looked up this number exactly. I think he shot, before the all-star break, 34, 35% on above the break threes. And that was, are supposed to be, those aren't the corner threes and the corner three should eventually come down pat. And, and so there were just, there were good harbingers for him. And that might be something that they've done, right? Uh, maybe he's not the choice you make when you redraft that year, but I, I still think he has that chance to be really good. And maybe it shows through this season. Yep. I think we agree. Um, um, who's getting traded? Everybody? No, I, <laughs> I, Amon Shumpert, I think, is my pick. Um, yeah. Just because I'm not sure what – Costa Kufos is interesting for matching purposes. Uh, I'm just not sure. Amon Shumpert might actually have value to someone because they can talk themselves into him chasing around another yeah. thing defensively if he's healthy. But the Kings should definitely be trying to – they have Macklemore's expiring contract. They have Kufos. They have Shumpert. They should definitely be trying to take back some deals – from teams that are looking to shed the tax, duck the tax, cut their tax bill, shave money for 2019, that will come with picks or prospects because they don't even have a first round pick this year. And that just makes the way they acted around the draft or even this offseason even more excusable. How did you not try and go out there and get that first round pick? I think Shumpert or, again, any of their other aspiring contracts might be a means for them to uh, make up for that before the trade deadline. Yeah, Schumpert's my guy too. I think um, for two reasons. One is like he's just if he's dead money, which maybe he is. I don't know. He's more dead money than Kufus, and so maybe like we talked about before, maybe that's just better for matching purposes. If that's the route you're going to go, um, you could talk me like say say the Thunder. You know, the Thunder just have never had a guy at the two who can make threes and also guard someone. And maybe they say, oh, Shump Shump looks healthy. That's what he's going to do. Um, but I can you could talk me into like. Let's say Willie Cauley-Stein falls down the depth chart. Let's say Harry Giles pops, and he's what a lot of people think he's going to be. Bagley's getting his minutes. Maybe you're playing Kufus to bump his trade value up or, or whatever. Randolph's going to get his minutes. And Cauley-Stein just falls down the depth chart, and the Kings decide, like, we're just not going to bother with his restricted free agency. Let's move him. Um, you could talk me into that. But but it, like you said at the outset, kind of everybody's in play. Like, there's the team's not good enough to be ruling out anything at this point. And uh, which, oh, well... We have to do this first. Better defense or offense for this team? This I think tough. offense. Just, yeah. Just get, like you say, say you go Fox, Heald, Bogdanovich, Bagley, and somebody else. I mean, they're going to get scored on like crazy, but but you could get some points out of that. Especially, there's a lot of talk of um, pace this year. Like they're 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 looking for transition opportunity. Which every team says that. There's never been a team in the history of basketball that doesn't say we'd like to get some more transition opportunities. Um, but the Kings are saying that and the roster, certainly if you had to pick a strength, that's, there's some decent speed and some shooting with healed and, you know, Bogdanovich is really smart and there's a way for them to score. There is no way for them to defend, especially if they're going to be playing Bagley at the four or the five where he's going to get destroyed. Yeah. And it it kind of stinks because you want to, you want to lean into that identity where you're going with offense when you have your pick, because you can be then entertaining while also being bad, uh, they have the ability to do that, but it's not going to result in having their own first round pick. I want to see 
a ton of lineups with uh, Bogdanovich, Buddy Heald, and De'Aaron Fox playing at the same time in tandem with Marvin Bagley, and then you could do whatever you want with the, the fifth player. But when those three played together last year, the Kings uh, put together a 107 offensive rating, which was exponentially better than their <laughs> own. And now you're, you know, you're taking in just some better development from these guys. De'Aaron Fox uh, should be better. Uh, Bogdanovich should be better. I, I really do believe in Buddy Heald, not to the extent that he was necessarily worth the centerpiece in the DeMarcus Cousins trade, or at least not when Vivek came out and said, you know, we have Stephen Curry 2.0. But <laughs> this is someone who, you know, last year, and this is for someone who was in his uh, second year, he shot 34.7% on pull-up three-pointers. That's a solid number for someone at that stage of his career. And and so I hope that they kind of just commit to that offensive identity, play a little faster, try and score a ton of points. And they do have with those four players that I mentioned, I think a path to at least doing that. And so I would think pretty clearly, even though I said this was a tough one, um, that they'll have a better offense than they will defense. I'm, I'm trying to think though, what their best defensive lineup would look like. And I just, I can't even cobble it together. Uh, There's not one unless Harry Giles is, is, uh, just a world beater as, as you know mobile blocking shots whatever if he even can play enough to do that one thing though um i agree you know we agree the offense will be better but the reason this is a tougher question than you think is that this team's shot profile last year was a joke um they averaged 23.7 threes per game attempted right um that's third to last so that's not going to work um th- that th- i mean to be a decent offense you got to be it you know the, what did the Rockets shoot like forty one threes a game last year so you know give or take a million give or take a million so that's one thing the problem that that is exacerbated by the fact that they shot thirty seven point eight percent from three as a team which is third best in the league last year I don't know what their analytics department is looking at but if you see that your team can make threes and you're not encouraging them to shoot them and I think that's probably Dave Yeager um, that's ridiculous. So to the really, if they changed nothing about the roster and they just shot like 15 more threes a game, they'd be, you know, they'd be out of the bottom 10, I think, offensively. That's that's on the table for me. But you just never know how easy that's going to be to just modernize your offense, you know, five years later than everyone else, which is what they need to do. It should be easy because, like I said, you, you have Buddy Heald and you have... Bogdanovich shot, by the way, 39.3% on pull-up threes last year, amid more about a attempt and a half per game. And so for someone with his inexperience, that's great. If De'Aaron Fox can replicate his above-the-break shooting or get better from the corners or something, just fire up a ton of threes. Just make it in volume. At least you're entertaining that way. I do actually what the don't, Nets do. I don't think it – yeah, I don't actually don't think it's as hard to change your style. I guess there's – you don't want to play without aim. At the same time, it's – you're going to be bad, like at, at least make your shot pile shot profile more mo- modern. And then maybe the structure will come within it later. And if you are a total free agent backwater that no one wants to play in it, the, the least you can do is, is sort of a, is create the narrative that you're like a high powered run and gun, you know, we we're going to put you in a position to succeed type of destination, which clearly I think is what Brooklyn is doing. In addition to just respecting the math, um, you, you might as well try to, cultivate an image as a fun team if you have always struck out on in free agency because maybe that's something 
that gets you a guy that's like, yeah, I'd like to go there and shoot 12 threes a game. That sounds awesome. Maybe, yeah, maybe that's how you max money next year. You may, don't joke about that. That's going to happen. He has to come um, with Boban though. That's non-negotiable. That just seems, I could see it. The Kings would do that and they'd do something like Vivek would talk about, well, we actually fancy Boban as a, as a point guard. We've, we've, <laughs> we've done some studies. The second um, coming of Magic Johnson. Yeah. He's um, even taller. So he's going to be better. <laughs> Playoffs or not for this team? Negative. Are not they, close. So their ceiling, uh, are they the worst team in the league this year? That probably belongs to Atlanta. Are they the worst team in the West? I think they're definitely the worst in the West. Uh, you, I think you're too quick to, to discount them as the worst team in the league because like, I think Jaeger is a candidate to be fired, um, even though there have been no indications to that uh, direction. But um, I just, there's so little talent on this team and what talent there is, is really, really young. So I, if they won, they could win 19 games. I think that's like, that's very much on the table and the Hawks might be right there. Um, it, maybe the Kings could also win 32 games. Uh, I think they'll be closer to the low end, but, but I'm not ready to write them off as being the worst team in the league. No question. They're worst in the West to me though, as I as looking at it right now. Yeah. And you, the thing with Atlanta is that they're really going to have to try to, to lose more than the Kings. Now that I think about it, just cause you have, you know, Jeremy Lin, good if healthy, Kemp Bazemore, good, Dwayne Dedman, good, Torian Prince is already good. What happens if Trey Young is good? John Collins makes a leap. Uh, yep. So they, they have a chance. To, and we went their entire segment without mentioning uh, Zach Randolph. So well, I mean, well, you know, the other thing real quick is consider who the Kings are going to be playing. I mean, the Hawks are going to get your Orlandos and your Knicks and your Nets and whatever. I mean, if if the Suns don't suck, where is the pushover game that the Kings are going to win in the West? I, I mean, I'm not sure. Hey, what a segue that was. Yeah. Um, to the Suns, who should be better than their 21-61 and 61 record last year. They had the trifecta. Amazing bottom feeding ratings last year for both cleaning the glass and NBA.com. That's you don't even have variants there. They were 30th in offensive rating, 30th in defensive rating, 30th in net rating. Congratulations to the Suns that helped you get DeAndre Ayton. Uh, what was their best move of the offseason, Grant? I'm looking at what I put in here and I already hate it and I don't agree with it because it was DeAndre Ayton and Considering what we just said about Luke, considering what we said about Luka Doncic, that's absurd because I would have taken Doncic every day and twice on Sunday. Um, So I don't know what their best move is. I have a lot of worst candidates. Um, I don't know. You go first, and I'll have to think about what their best move is now that I've backtracked on Aiden. Aiden could end up being a justifiable pick, but he is not my pick. Do Do you know what I? Do you know what I think their best move was? trading for Richon Holmes, who is actually a good NBA player. And in case Aiton goes bust, just another guy to evaluate um, at the center position. And he might even be able to give you some minutes at the four if you really try and extend his jumper or if DeAndre Aiton really does move and score like a guard right off the bat. It's a small pickup. I also really do like Elia Kobo. I'm okay. probably higher on him than people think, uh, or most people are, excuse me. Haven't seen way too much of him, but his game does look kind of smooth. And I'm hoping, especially with um, the Devin Booker injury, and I, I know he's not necessarily expected, he's supposed to miss a ton of time. I, I believe he's out at least through the preseason, if I got yeah. it wrong. I'm hoping that they give a, a Kobo just run at point guard right away. I know they're high 
on D'Anthony Melton. There was even the report from Woj that they're high on Shaquille Harrison, but I'd like to see Elia Kobo kind of get in there and they give him a chance to to get the range. And so I thought the getting um, Holmes was just this nice kind of small play, and um, but I also like Kobo as well. That was a good pick. First round yeah, I might, in the second round. So I might go with Kobo too. I, I like Michael Bridges too, um, but you know at 10, I feel like that's about the right value anyway. Um, they also gave up I, that heat pick in 2021 to get him. That's true. Yeah, maybe. That, yeah, I, you know what? I'm not landing on. I, I feel like I'm justified in punting on this because I didn't punt on any of the other ones. So I don't know what their best offseason move is. I, I would, I would co-sign on on yours, but even those are kind of like okay rather than good. They didn't make know? a truly terrible one. Like the Kings made a bunch of really yeah. bad ones, but there was nothing that necessarily intimated a direction. Um, or I mean, they believe in Aiden, and that's that's fine. But when you're as high on Doncic as I am or we are, the other yeah. thing with me, if if I was going to pass on Doncic, and maybe they honestly felt that having Booker, having Josh Jackson, having TJ Warren, that they didn't need Doncic, but then you you traded for Mikael Bridges, so I don't know how legitimate that is, um, and you still have a hole at point guard, and Doncic could have just been a point guard. Uh, you know right. like what the Sixers did with Ben Simmons? You could have just given him the reins there and had him trade off with Devin Booker. I would have went with Jaron Jackson Jr. though before I would have Aiton if you were going to trend that direction. Their worst offseason move to me was, I don't even, this is one of those, I might punt on this. I don't really hate any of them. I I know they went with Anderson, but they're going to have the opportunity to just get rid of him and pay him what Brandon Knight was going to make in his second year. And if you're trying to win this season, having Ryan Anderson instead of Marquise Chris is actually uh, a good thing. Uh, let's remember that he's a pretty good three-point shooter, has parking lot range, and will just stretch the defense that way. And this is a team that needs to just make more three-pointers, make and take mm-hmm. more three-pointers. I, the Trevor Reza deal is weird. It's for one year, which is why I don't know that you can pick it as the worst one. I I, I don't want to see him take away minutes from Josh Jackson. I'd like to see him get minutes at the floor instead of Ariza. Ditto for TJ Warren. And you have Mikael Bridges to factor into that. And you're hoping that, giving that money to Ariza, you're just, you're hoping he can become Jared Dudley, but maybe more serviceable on the defensive end because this is a team that needs defense. I think what I'm going to settle on is that they should have been more aggressive in trying to hammer out the point guard situation. So it's what they mm-hmm. didn't do. And yes, you have Melton and Harrison and a Kobo, but you're apparently trying to win this year. Why weren't you involved more in, in trade talks? Uh, why haven't we heard, we've heard about them going after the, the big fish like Kemba Walker and Damian Lillard, but you know, Patrick Beverly is just kind of sitting in Los Angeles right now. Uh, yeah. So it's just, I'm wondering why they just weren't a little bit more aggressive on that front. The free agency pool was really thin for point guards and you know, they weren't going to get Chris Paul. They definitely weren't going to go after Isaiah Thomas, but there were just other options out there. You know, maybe why not take a flyer on Shabazz Napier or, or something? That was the name I was just going to mention. That's funny. Yeah. Why not? What, do you have a worse move for them, or is it just passing on Doncic for you? No, I do. I mean, certainly passing on Doncic would would uh, be a good candidate. But so the way I kind of looked at this was like, you know, the what are the stakes of this move? Like how you know how badly could a bad move turn out if it really you know just doesn't work? And and so that's why I, I landed on the Booker extension. Um, and I had to be, I had to like triple check this and I wanted to be careful to make sure I wasn't crazy. Cause certainly like 
the Suns were so bad that we don't really watch them that much. And I had this calcified idea of what Devin Booker was in my mind that, you know, great offensive player, um, kills you defensively, doesn't make anyone better. That's not worth five years, 158 this early. And, and, and I was checking up on this and it's like, how good is this guy? So here's a, here's an Andy Bailey for you, sort of. Um, I just looked at guys that at age 21 went 24, four and four. Um, that group is LeBron, Jordan, Tracy McGrady, and Booker. Um, and Booker shot 38.3% from three as a 21 year old with those stats in that club, which none of those guys did obviously because different era, different games. So that's nuts that he was that productive at that age. And if that's all you knew, you might say, yeah, five, one sign me up. Let's do it. We, we're not going to wait. We're not going to do restrictive free agency. We're going to do it. But then like the, the ideas that I had about him are actually still also true. He's not a defender. He doesn't make teammates better. The Suns were actually more effective. Their net rating was better when Booker was off the floor last year, which is, I mean, if that's all you know, then he's not a Mac. He's not a, he's not a five one fifty eight guy because there can be no question at that level of money that the guy makes your team better. And with Booker, I think there is a question still. Um, So that to me is just, the Suns are saying, this is our guy, like in all caps with an extension like that. And to me, you need to be so sure about that. And I just don't see enough evidence for me to be that sure. So um, committing just ridiculous money to someone who might be really good down the line, but also might not make you better period is, is a big risk to me. And, and on the scale of like, that's the reason the Kings are, are, I mean, the Suns are doing a new rebuild in six years as opposed to, you know, getting where they think they're trying to go. I'm going to play devil's advocate on the Devin Booker front a little bit. And I think I've come around on him as well. And it sounds like you have for the most part, his defense is atrocious. And there, there have been very few scant moments where he makes these just weird effort plays uh, around screens that have taken me aback. But he, I don't think he's had interest in playing defense at all the past three years. I don't think the sun's culture has demanded it. Um, and maybe that's been infectious. Perhaps that's where bridges and Ariza really come in handy. Uh, but if Tyson Chandler didn't, you know, what is, are they, are those two going to help change the culture? Those are legitimate concerns. I'm going to argue against the fact that he doesn't make his teammates better. He's come around as a pick and roll decision maker for me. And the Suns have just never surrounded him with the right spacing or the complimentary talent to make it work. It's just never been there. And I, I look at how his volume has and usage rate has increased in each of his first three seasons, and yet his true shooting percentage has not suffered at all. It actually increased yeah. from sophomore to third year. And I took it a step further on the Andrew Bailey front here and found this actually a, a little bit telling. Uh, for every player through their first through se- first three seasons, excuse me, and I said they had to play at least fifteen hundred minutes to get the small sample BS out of the way. Um, of all the players who attempted at least 18 shots per 36 minutes and had a usage rate higher than 27, um, I sorted them by true shooting percentage. Here are the players who are in front of Devin Booker. Terry Cummings, Mark Aguirre, Kyrie Irving, Michael Jordan, Joel Embiid, Walter Davis. So he's seventh on this list of 19 players, and there are three players behind him to round out the top 10. Vince Carter, Donovan Mitchell, and LeBron James. And so his efficiency is there as a scorer. I think when you really look at it, at the volume he has shouldered, if he can ever play 
alongside a point guard that isn't getting injured, that wants to be in Phoenix, that can then allow him to get more looks as a spot-up marksman, his offensive value is going to increase. And then the inverse, to me, is going to be true as well. If they're going to give him more shooting, which which maybe they have. So when he comes back, I think we'll be able to pass more judgment on whether he makes his teammates better. Can he find DeAndre Ayton out of the pick-and-roll for these timely lobs? Um, can he get Mikael Bridges in the corner? Can Trevor Ariza help him? Uh, if they throw those spacing lineups out, is he just going to make his teammates better that way? It's still up for kind of debate, but I think he'll get there, and it's just because the efficiency he has carried himself amid the workload that he has had to ferry through these first three years, not a lot of players has, have done it, and the fact that he is as efficient in this role or close to it as Kyrie Irving was through his first three seasons or about as efficient as Donovan Mitchell was last year or LeBron James was through his first three years. I'm not saying he's going to be better or as good as these players specifically, but I really do think that that is a great sign. That is really impressive that on a on a terrible team without much help, he's gotten his numbers pretty it's not like it's not like he's out here shooting 38% from the field and 33% from deep and it's just you know someone's got to get the numbers on a bad team I, I definitely think that's a good point in his favor um but like i think i think even if we just say defensively i think you'd agree that there are like some questions still about how good this guy questions. really is and so <laughs> would you have would you have extended him now or would you have waited for a restricted free agency i would have waited because if you're going to max him out i'd rather have the opportunity to work with his smaller cap hold and that's right and a whole nother year of information right a whole nother year of answers that that to me is really where it is like it drives me nuts except in extremely rare cases when teams commit as much as they can for as long as they can before they have to and, and I get there's the the goodwill you know you want to cultivate, but to me you just need more information on a guy who's 22. You and, know I I want more. And he, there's nothing wrong with what the what the Pistons did with Drummond, where they just told you we're going to make you wait, but we're going to give you max money anyway, and it seemed to work out. I know everyone yeah. there was wasn't part of the thing with Kawhi Leonard, uh, his camp, and and he, and he himself were a little bit irked that the Spurs made him wait for his extension. And I don't necessarily understand that if they were going to give him max money. If they asked him to take a pay cut, I get it. But if you're not going to ask Devin Booker to, to take a pay cut, uh, then I don't see the harm in doing it, especially because he's not turning down five years. And no, you're going to no have way. him under team control then. If he's unhappy, he'll get over it. He's not going to have the leverage to, to to really force his way out. So I just would have, if you were going to max him out anyway, the year of information, that can be sort of covert. But you can tell him like, we have every intention right now as of maxing you out, but we're trying to get better. You want to win. We want to work with your smaller cap hold. We've shown that we can entice a free agent like Trevor Ariza, and we want to have that extra wiggle room to work with. And here's the other thing, too. I think it certainly looks like the Suns are going to try to be competitive this year, which will be the first time that's ever been true of a team in the NBA that Devin Booker is on. And I would want to see how that changes how he plays, how it maybe improves how he plays, how his defense becomes a much more glaring issue if it doesn't improve when it actually matters that you're trying to stop the other team. Um, I just want, yeah, it, it, you know, we agree. I think you could talk to me, this may turn out to be a perfectly logical extension. I just, it never makes sense to me to do it sooner than you have to. Um, and, unless so, the relationship is broken and you could probably argue a healthy Kristaps and a Knicks, that might be an extension that you wanted to get out of the way, but their yeah. injury makes it easier for them. Uh, with Devin Booker, though, there is no like no evidence that the relationship is just completely mangled beyond repair. 
No. And it's and also it's not it's also I don't know if you put him on the open market that someone just maxes him out right away like they would a Carl Anthony Towns. And so he has to understand that. So you're not if you're him and you know that they're going to give you max money anyway, I don't know that he would be guaranteed. He probably does get it on the open market. Yeah. But I don't think he's the no-brainer like a Carl Anthony Towns. No, I agree. I agree. Um who's your breakout guy? Um this was a tough question for me. Uh, I think it's going to be Josh Jackson. Just ooh, this is great. This is going to be a great podcast. Go ahead, uh, because it's not Josh Jackson for you. Not for me, no. And it's obvious. You know, Jackson cannot break out if my guy does. Oh, that's that's actually hysterical. The question <laughs> I still have for him is whether he's ever going to. Is he going to be the wing that you want to put on the smaller guards, or can he have that? I'm not comparing him defensively, but that Andre Robertson versatility where you can put him on fours, threes, twos, and ones and not really have to worry. And and Robertson will lock them all down. I don't know if Jackson will be that player, but he he kind of did struggle when he was going up against uh, the bigger wings. I was really encouraged with the strides he made as a scorer and playmaker uh, late in the season when the Suns were in full tank mode. They were giving uh, their younger guys just larger shares of the offense. And over... Uh, his, I, th- I think it was his final 26 games. He averaged 18.3 points, 2.3 assists, six rebounds, 1.3 steals, shot 44% from the field, uh, averaged up close to six free throw attempts per 36 minutes, only shot 65.3% from the foul line, and then 26% from three. That's the that's the bigger question mark. You want to know that he can match up across basically everywhere. Defensively, that would be flexibility you've yet to enjoy and flexibility that Ariza isn't going to give you as, as he enters his twilight. You need him to hit threes. You definitely need him to hit his free throws. But if he's getting to the foul line, he was taking threes. If he's someone who can make the simple reads when he has the ball in the half court, like I believe he was um, toward the latter quarter of the season, this is someone who should still have the opportunity to be really good. I'm not sure how the addition of Mikael Bridges and maybe even Melton and having Warren and Ariza will impact his development, but certainly when you don't have a clear-cut starting point guard on the roster, uh, if there's going to be someone outside of Devin Booker who's not a point guard that will get a, a ton of time on the ball and be asked to do more as a facilitator and just broaden his offensive scope, it will be Josh Jackson. So I started out with Jackson um, because I just remember, I don't know how many times down the stretch last year, citing that those exact numbers of how, look at this, what he's done after the break. This is ridiculous. Like, are we watching a star, you know, materialize? And then thought more about it and was kind of like, you know what? I actually don't care about numbers at all on a team that is deliberately trying to lose. Fair. Um, and, and, you know, his numbers were better. But some of the ones you, the stats you mentioned are still just like, that's not nearly efficient enough. That's, you know, you're, you're getting, you're playing a lot for a team that's not trying that. So that's the guy that's like, got to get numbers. Someone's got to get numbers on a bad team. That That's what that looked like to me. Um, and just so, so if I'm not going to trust numbers, I go, just what does the guy look like when he plays? And to me, Jackson's shot is just, I just will never believe that it's going to go in. Um, it's just, it's too, it's out in front of his face. There's a windup, there's a hitch, there's a, it's like a fling. Um, this is probably more scouty than, you know, is wise to get, but it's just, that's a shot that needs to be scrapped, um, and started over. And, and if, and 
look like there are other skills to have on a basketball court and he has a lot of them defensively. I think I like the idea of what he could be, but if you're just not going to make shots and, and right now I don't think he's ever going to make shots. I just don't know what you can be now. Um, so, so I pick bridges basically for the, for, for the opposite reason, which, and I actually went and watched a lot of film of him because once again, not that familiar. Um, I really like him as a catch and shoot guy. Um, there's, it's, it's quick. His release is quick. He's comfortable catching it. He goes off a quick little hop. Um, he shoots over, he shoots over contests really well. It's just a shot that is versatile and like translatable to actual NBA basketball. And so if that's all Bridges does is make open threes, then I think you can make the case that he's still more valuable for a good team than Jackson is. Um, but I think Bridges can do more. And I just, if, if you were starting from scratch and you didn't know their draft pedigrees and they were both rookies this year, I think Bridges would be the guy you'd play um, because you know he's going to do something. Um, Jackson just, I don't know. I didn't mean to make this comparison, but I'm trying to justify picking Bridges over Jackson, and that's kind of the, the best I can do uh, to, to make that case. It's definitely fair to pick He's NBA ready. It, that was also, I thought it was so strange that the Sixers actually traded him. I understand yeah. the upside with, it was encouraging because it shows you that Brett Brown, assuming he was just really the one that drove that decision, it, it was encouraging because it showed he wasn't necessarily thinking like a coach. Smith probably has the higher ceiling. He's younger and you got that extra pick. But he was everything that Philadelphia needed. Yeah. What's funny about Phoenix is I just don't know some of the things they're going to need him to do. Let's say navigate the floor in the half court on offense without the ball, but through all this traffic and pile up if they don't have proven shooters. They might need him. Uh, Ariza, you don't want him chasing around the toughest wing assignment on the defensive end. So now you're just a rookie by baptism by fire uh, in that situation. And that could not maybe reflect poorly on his defense. You'll have to rely on the eye test more, but that is something that can be uh, just an impediment because you, you would like to there to be some level of graduality or, or a perfect fit. The Suns offer neither for him. The thing I'll say about Jackson and, and you were worried about getting too scouty is I thought that he looked a lot more comfortable. The, the shots weren't the right shots to take. If he was going to pull up, he should have been taking them from a lot three. of long twos. Yeah. But he looked comfortable doing them. And so after the All-Star break, between 15 and 19 feet, he shot 46.2%. And barely any of those looks were assisted. That, to me, is something... uh, And when it was coupled with me watching him, and again, I didn't watch as much as the Suns as, as Phoenix fans did, or probably as a lot of other people did, but when I saw it, he looked like he was comfortable doing it and it looked like those were the spots he wanted to get to. It wasn't Brandon Ingram level. I think he has feel for the game, but I think it's something that he can, maybe if it's not this intrinsic feel, it'll he'll develop the right decision-making to where he will take and make at a higher clip the right shots. Yeah, I think you could definitely talk me into Jackson having sort of more avenues to being a really good player because you know there's just several things that he projects to be able to do pretty well. And maybe that means his ceiling is higher too than Bridges, but I just want the guy that's going to fill fill a role. Um, and maybe that's a dumb thing to do for a breakout guy, um, but but I know Bridges can fill a role. I, I mean, I don't know, but I re- I'm confident that he can fill a role. And then, you know, he's he's not a one-dimensional guy, I don't think. I, I think you could make the case that he's got a lot of avenues to get better too, but if pressed, I'd probably say Jackson's ceiling is higher, but that's only if he just starts over with his with his mechanics on the shot, which the, nobody ever does. The absence of a point guard, though, 
might actually helped help uh, your pick with Bridges. Maybe they give him the freedom to do some more on the ball stuff, and that's how he yeah, becomes maybe. Ex- exponentially more valuable. Yeah, it could be. Um, that who's getting traded? That's a. I guess that's not really too tough about this team. Is it? I would probably say I'm going to go with Tyson Chandler just because the money. And uh, one of the trades I pitched was Tyson. I think I pitched it to you. was Tyson Chandler of the Clippers for Patrick Beverly and Wes Johnson. And if you need to include a mini sweetener, that's something you could do. Um, He has the expiring contract. Maybe they're willing to take back because they don't think they're going to hit a homer in free agency next year. Or maybe they want to keep Trevor Ariza. Uh, Maybe they also want to keep Ryan Anderson, who makes more than Knight and Chris were combined. So that would be money that eats into your flexibility. Uh, you move him and you take back someone who's on a less flattering contract that a team wants to get rid of. I'm not saying it needs to be Evan Turner, but maybe you try and get in on the Kent more sweepstakes if you're trying to stay in that fringe playoffs territory into next season. So he he would be my pick. You could talk me into Darrell Arthur. Um, you could probably talk me into Dragon Bender. I'm interested to see who you're going to pick. Well, so Chandler, I think, makes a lot of sense. Um, the only reason I didn't pick Chandler was because, you know, Aiton is – to say he's a suspect defender is putting it really charitably. Um, and Chandler at one time was really one of the premier defensive centers in the league. Um, and so I think there's a decent chance they want Chandler around as a mentor. Um, but you know, that, that could mean he's, you know, maybe it's, maybe you can get enough mentoring in by February to, to make that not matter anymore. Um, my guy's actually Ariza. Um, and I think that's just because, um, everybody's going to want a three and D wing. So uh, I just think there's going to be, you know, whereas who, who wants who, you know, other than as just like shuffling deck chairs type of move, who wants a, well, I don't know how old Chandler is 35, 36. Um, who wants a, a backup center? It's just not a hot commodity. Whereas Ariza, virtually any contender that's going to go play the Warriors at some point um, should want that guy. Um, so that's kind of what, and, and, you know, the Suns I don't think signed him with the intent of having him be a long-term play. It's still a very weird signing. Like you said at the top, however you slice it, but if you're signing him to move him, um, certainly as an expiring guy who can help you win right now at a very high level, cause he just showed it last year. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in him. It would be, it would be funny. I talked about this with the Lakers. If, if that was like the player that they were looking, you know, you package Rondo with salary filler. And yeah. if it was Rondo and it's not going to be Beasley, but if it was Rondo and Stevenson and I mean, they can buy out those guys once they get them and then a pick or, yeah. or, or Wagner, maybe that's, and the Suns are already out of it and they do own their own first round pick. Ariza helps the Lakers. And if you're the Suns, you get something for someone who by your interpretation, isn't someone you're going to want to keep long-term anyway. That might be, that, that's an interesting take. I actually, I agree with it more. Chandler is the guy, if you think the Suns are going to go in for someone who's yeah. making money, and then Ariza is the guy, if you think that they're going to sell. That's true. And we don't know what they're going to be, so that makes it pretty complicated. Well, they're, they're not, well, that brings us to, well, oh, first, better offense or defense for this team? Uh, it's, it's definitely, well, nothing can be definite if you're dead last in both, but my, my look at it is they're going to play a rookie center a lot and Devin Booker a lot. and that is just like the rookie center thing to me is your defense is guaranteed to be bad. There's no way um, Aiton is going to be a plus defensively. And I think he's going to play a ton and at a pivotal position. So like their defense, I think is 
it could be 30th again. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but offensively, I think they could be better. Um, whether that means 20th or 15th, I'm not sure. Um, but I don't see the defense getting out of, let's say, bottom five. Completely, completely with you there. And it's Aiton is also supposed to be ridiculously good on the offensive end too. And now that you've added yeah. more spacing as well around him and, and Devin Booker and whoever the hell you try playing at point guard uh, and Josh Jackson, I'm hoping we see a lot of positionless basketball from this team. And that's the other thing, their coach that we haven't talked about, Igor Kokoshkov, he's a good offensive mind. And so we might see some more creative stuff that just makes everyone on this team look better. Yeah, that's true. It's definitely, we, we should have mentioned him potentially as one of the better moves that they made. Yeah, that, was, that um, might have been their best offseason move. Um, <laughs> which is crazy because, like, let's be honest, we don't know any, we really don't know what a coach is going to do until he does it. Uh, hey, you talk to Andy about Igor Kokoshkov and he'll give you he'll give you a lowdown. All right. Well, I want to know where he ranks among uh, 47-year-old coaches from Slovenia that uh, on basketball reference. That's what I care about. Um, playoffs, playoffs or not nah for this team? Hard nah. Um, they can they can talk about it all they want or you know make all these moves that hint at com- competitiveness, but like no way. There's just the West is too good, and I feel like this team's ceiling is still in the 30s in terms of win total. And that's so that's the question. I'm a nah too, and I, I think it's clear. Who are they aside from the Kings? Who do they have the potential to be better in than the West? And my even I I think reflexively you go toward the Grizzlies and or the Mavericks. Yep. Most of these situations, though, it seems like they're dependent on Dallas and Memphis and maybe even the Clippers recognizing that they're not going to make the playoffs and then they're having to sell because otherwise, I don't think if you left, if you told me none of these teams were going to make huge moves during the course of the season, it's really hard to pick a single team other than the Kings that the Suns are going to be better than. I totally agree. Um, Everyone you look at, you know, Dallas, it would have to be. You know, Doncic maybe gets hurt or whatever else. And, you know, Memphis, the, the injury stuff and the age stuff is easy to, to peg there. The Clippers are a candidate. But then once you're above that, like, they're not going to be better than the Spurs, even though I don't think the Spurs are going to make the playoffs. Um, you know, they're, they're you not on the, the Southwest division. <laughs> well, you know, they'll be close. You could, you could change my mind. But yeah, other than that, it's just, it's really just the Kings um, that they'll be definitely better than. The, what's important, I think. I don't know if anything's important about the the Suns, but what's interesting is they're clearly like their goals are very different, I think, than a lot of these other bottom half West teams, which is really just reiterating what you said, where they're kind of I think they just want to win. They want to see how many games they can win, um, which is all to me. That's not a smart strategy. Um, the argument would be that, like, we got some young guys that we believe are cornerstones. We'd like to get them into a sort of winning mindsets now um which you know whatever that makes sense um but you know the other teams like they're they're gonna pull the plug if things aren't going well memphis dallas whatever whereas the suns i don't feel like they're i think they're just gonna try to win 30 some odd games and call it a year um and be happy with that so progress yeah yeah that's 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 they're very differently incentivized and it's 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 i can't think of another team really that's like them um that's kind of young not just in the west but in the league that is just kind of like yeah Let's just go win. Let's see what see what happens because that's so counter to what everyone else is doing. I yeah, if you had to pick one, maybe it's the it could it be the the Nets aren't even really young. Maybe the Bulls might come closest to that. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're and they're actually kind of a similar team if you think about it. But let's not get into that. Um, <laughs> that was your 
Pacific Division preview, coupled with some in way too extensive Russell Westbrook analysis at the beginning of the pod. We spent like 20, uh, 30 minutes on him and point guard contracts, so you can thank us for that later. Be sure to follow Grant on Twitter at GT underscore Hughes. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. Follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. You can follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Our sponsor, MBA Math, is at MBA underscore math. You can continue to get 15% off at the MBA Math shop, mbamath.com slash shop, promo code, promo code Benno, B-E-N-O. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Tell your friends, your family, make them do it, steal their phones, recommend us. Uh, that'll be a great passing the bar present to Andrew D. Bailey. It'll be a great wedding present to me if you're interested at all in my well-being outside of the few minutes you spend listening to us here. Until next time, though, I leave you with a shout-out to Memphis Grizzlies superstar Kyle Anderson and nobody else. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.